You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 501. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of December, 2021. episode, a Russian airline crew hailed as heroes flew their plane for five hours with severe icing. British investigators wonder if a crew's lack of flying during the pandemic caused a serious go-around incident. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, flying over Christmas. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 501 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining me from her lakeside studio in Doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff, and hey, everybody else. Really looking forward to our first uh, post-500th episode of all time. Many more to come. Of sure. all time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Wasn't sure where I was going with that, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I know. Just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. All right, and also joining us... From his hotel studio in Ontario, California. He's a world traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling, Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Captain Rick. Hey, everybody. Happy to see everyone here again. It's been a little while. Bummed out about 500. But I'm here and looking uh, looking forward to this one. We've already forgotten all about it. Oh, man. And from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Getting in the spirit here. So, uh, um, looking forward to another great show in December. Excellent. And... Joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Hi. Great to see you, Liz. Hey, Hey, what do you think about uh, doing some news, some aviation kind of news? Let's do it. Yes, please. Stand by for news. All right. The first one in the news notebook is this from Aviation Herald. 
Com. Uh, accident, Trans Northern DC-3 Sierra, or S, I'm not sure, at Anchorage on December 8th, 2021. Engine failure and gear up landing. Trans Northern Aviation Douglas DC-3, a C-117 Skytrain. Registration November 28, Tango November. Performing freight flight 123 from Anchorage, Alaska to Kodiak, Alaska. With two crew was in the initial climb out of Anchorage's runway 7 left. When the crew declared an emergency due to, due to the failure of the right-hand engine, uh, initially requested to return to runway 7 left and requesting left turns only, but then decided to divert to Anchorage's Merrill Field, located four nautical miles to the northeast of Anchorage's International Airport. After reaching a maximum altitude of about 900 feet, the aircraft performed a gear-up landing on Merrill's runway 7, keeping the left wing up and engine operating as long as possible. The crew was able to bring the aircraft to a stop on the runway. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. The NTSB reported the aircraft experienced a loss of engine power shortly after takeoff and made an emergency landing at Merrill. Okay, we knew that. Uh, there was no, there were no injuries and investigation has been opened. The aircraft was recovered from the runway by a crane and the runway was returned to service about six uh, hours, 15 minutes past their landing. And, uh, the weather there showing not bad, uh, 9,000 foot ceiling, 9,000 broken, a uh, little chilly. Of course, it's Alaska minus 10, um, winds were light. So weather was really not any factor as far as I can see there. And, uh, I don't know if you're showing some of the, uh, of the slides yet, um, Liz, but we have a couple of pictures. I, did. I already showed them. Okay. Yeah. You did. All right. I wasn't, uh, watching that. So good. Um, anyway, what do you think? Uh, so, uh, Rick, you're probably among the crew here that has flown into Anchorage the most and, um, uh, Merrill, uh, field. I, I, it's been so long since I've been up there. That's, uh, I don't remember uh, where all that is. It says four nautical miles to the northeast, so it's pretty much a straight shot off of uh, taking off from seven left. Yeah, it's just just up the road. And um, the, the thing with the thing with Anchorage is that uh, you know you have obviously Ted Stevens, a uh, you know, big international airport with loads of you know, seven four seven country up there. It's heavy country up there, and then you have. Uh, the highest concentration of, uh, of, of GA traffic uh, that I've ever seen. So, because you have the um, obviously Merrill, and then you have the uh, the water runways right off mm -hmm. of um, um, Ted Stevens as well. So, there's airplanes up there everywhere all the time. Um, these 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 guys handle this just beautifully, and the fact that they kept that that uh, that uh, left wing up. Um, made uh, only uh, left turns that's uh, you know when, when uh, one of the things they teach you on your initial um, uh, multi-engine training is uh, you know, always 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 uh, turn into the good engine I remember my instructor used to say uh, race the dead as he was referring to you know racing the, uh, the, the the dead engine up you know never turn into the into the bad engine um, and these guys landed. It's just you know, and and I think uh, I spoke to John Jester. Uh, he was flying out of Anchorage that day, and he saw the plane take off. Um, yeah, and uh, and these DC threes, man, these things are built like trucks. Uh, the fact that uh, they're probably gonna just you know polish it up and and, and keep her going. It'll buff uh, out. I, absolutely. And I can just I can just imagine these guys. Um, you know, true, true aviators after this whole thing happens, you know, 
giving their statements, doing their doing their paperwork, and then just going on down to uh, F Street Station and having a couple of beers and talking about it. You know, so uh, absolutely, my 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 uh, my glass up to them. Cheers, gentlemen. Absolutely. Cheers. Well done. Very well good. Done. Here, let me. Uh, I don't know if you heard that uh, sound effect, but oh, we heard it. it. Oh, okay, here's another one. Absolutely. <laughs> just don't spill it on your computer. I know. We never do that uh, here, they, Liz. I I had a funny feeling uh, the captain was a lady. Not that it matters. Why Maybe. do you have was a funny wrong feeling in that? Yeah. <laughs> she, ladies give them a funny feeling. I actually don't know. Um, I don't know. Okay. I wouldn't mind getting a funny feeling. Um, okay. But uh, <laughs> any kind of where, feeling. Where where exactly are you seeing this? And are are you reading something else? Oh, is it on a different? It's, it's just the stuff I read earlier. That's oh, okay. a funny really? Very that. very possible. Okay. Well, oh, maybe because you think her name is Meryl? Uh, could have been. I no, don't I'm just know. Kidding. I can't remember that. <laughs> um, I love that uh, you pointed out that, uh, you know, absolutely wonderful thing they did, turning into the live engine all the time. Uh, they're obviously thinking ahead uh, and judging their uh, distance in. It's uh, Even if they decided uh, short finals, they could have got the gear down. It's no easy task in a DC-3 having sat in uh, C-47. Um, with Nick and uh, asked him about how you raise the gear. It's a, it's it's definitely not a particularly simple process. It's not like yeah. us in modern mm-hmm. airliners. One not like just the lever. Know. Yeah, exactly. It's not like that at all. So uh, I think they did a fine job. And if I'm not mistaken, doesn't the the wheels of the DC three slightly protrude below the cowlings they, anyway? They do. They do. And I believe there's a system uh, where um, uh, there's an uh, I don't cause I mean, what, what the heck was it? I think there was a motor, some kind of electric motor that you can position the prop in a certain way to keep it from hitting the ground when you land with the gear slightly protruding out. I think it's a system of squirrels and hamsters. That, uh, <laughs> there you go. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. There you go. That's exactly it. The um, thing so, I remember about the them was that... Keeps the so, yeah, so I, I, I do believe they have that. They they actually turn the prop around and get it out of the way so that when the, the airplane lands, the the prop doesn't touch the, the ground. Um, yeah. And uh, no, the fact that they the fact that they decided to to uh, divert to Merrill um, uh, tells me that perhaps their uh, energy state wasn't exactly where they wanted it to be. So mm-hmm. I think the fact that they left the landing gear up was a good idea because you put right. the gear down you got those bags Drag. hanging out and it's not exactly aerodynamic so they um, said the highest altitude reach was 900, 900 feet, feet. <laughs> Nine, 900 feet. that's it very low yeah you know the one time i went, went to anchorage i can kind of remember where everything is in position but yeah that would get your attention seeing that yeah uh, when i yeah. when i read this earlier i i I thought the problem was that the uh, the, the um, dead engine didn't feather the prop didn't feather uh. fully yeah, uh-huh. which yeah. would okay. have given them yeah. more drag than they would be. normally exactly. have expected. Exactly. Uh, so, no. well, anyway, well good done. job. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. good job. And um, walked away know, from it. Nice one. Uh, again, a cheers from the APG crew. Absolutely. For great yeah, airmanship. Absolutely. Good job. Nicely All right. done. Hey, I, I just threw this thing in at the last minute. Uh, I think I clipped this uh, about a week ago. Reading um, uh-huh. the airline pilots, Asso- uh, airline pilots association, international issued a an Alpa safety alert, and it deals with something that we have talked about on earlier episodes regarding the five uh, G implementation. Uh, in the cell phone world, earlier this year, the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, awarded the mobile wireless industry radio spectrum to operate 5G transmissions in the C-band 
or 3.7 to 3.98 gigahertz, adjacent to the spectrum used by radar altimeters. What could go wrong? This approval was made despite the aviation industry informing the FCC since 2018 of the need to ensure that radar altimeters are protected from 5G interference. Canada has also approved 5G in the C-band, but with restrictions against using C-band in the vicinity of 26 airports and other measures to ensure aviation safety. Radar altimeter interference from 5G signals can take the form of loss of radar altitude information or worse, incorrect radar altitude information unknowingly being generated. There have been fatal accidents associated with incorrect radar altitude, most recently Turkish Airlines Flight 1951 in Amsterdam in 2009. I believe that was a 737. It was an 800, yep. Altitude information derived from radar altimeters has been deeply integrated into aircraft systems and automation, with the latest aircraft using it to change aircraft handling qualities and prepare systems such as ground spoilers and thrust reversers for deployment prior to touchdown. This is in addition to radio altimeter use for auto land and in Category 2, Category 3, and required navigation performance approaches. On November 2nd, 2021, the Federal Aviation Administration issued a special airworthiness information bulletin, and we covered that one on our show, um, alerting operators to the potential for severe restrictions in flight operations to ensure safety. And then on December 7th, most recently, the FAA also issued an airworthiness directive, an AD, intended to cover all transport category aircraft at the following web link, and we'll have that in the show notes if you want to go to that link. The AD requires the following airplane manual, flight manual, AFM revision that prohibits the following information uh, operations in the presence of possible 5G interference. And there's a table here. Uh, when operating in U.S. airspace, the following operations requiring radio altimeter are prohibited in the presence of 5G C-band wireless broadband interference as identified by NOTAM, which is notices notices to air missions. Now, a new change. Uh, let's see. Instrument land. Let's see. Uh, instrument landing system. Instrument approach procedures. SA Cat one. SA Cat two. Cat two and Cat three approaches. Required navigation performance procedures with authorization required. RMP ARIAP. Automatic landing operations. Manual flight control guidance system operations to landing and head up display. HUD to touchdown operations and use of enhanced flight vision system, EFVS, to touchdown under 14 CFR 91.176 alpha. So anyway, it uh, is just iterating here that uh, it's critical for pilots to be aware of and comply with any restrictions imposed via this airworthiness directive and or NOTAM by safety regulators, including the FAA and Transport Canada. Pilots should be should also be aware that flight planning and advanced preparation will be critical to ensure that should an alternate airport be required, the weather minimums are available. Instrument approach procedures can be utilized. In other words, you can't rely on a low visibility approach, um, you know, to uh, use as an alternate. So I have a couple questions. Yeah. Um, where are they going to bury that in the NOTAM so that you can not easily find it? Um, right below the <laughs> birds are in the vicinity, in the vicinity of, of the airport. Exactly. Yeah. And also, On page 47. This is something that's been brought to the F, uh, the, the, wait, the FAA was bringing this to the attention of the SEC since 2018. Uh-huh. That's four years. Yeah. Four years. They've been ignoring them for that long. And decided just to go ahead anyway. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, okay. because... I guess that's not really a question. That's just a... Make sure I got that right. Yeah, you got it right, Steph. Uh, While you're on the phone, Steph, 
Um, what's the medical opinion of uh, the frequency of radio altimeters uh, causing pandemics? I'm just curious. Uh, how come... we're, we're, uh, research is ongoing. Okay, yes. ongoing. We're, we're in like phase like APG conspiracy theory. clinical trials right now. There you go. Yeah. That's good. I was just wondering because it works in the same similar frequency. So all these, uh, yeah, all these G5 pandemic problems. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's going to take something going wrong. You know, because because yeah. you know this. You know let's, how let's just go. forge ahead and see how it's it goes. Always, and yeah. as soon as we have an accident always, or an incident or a very serious near incident, then we'll you know maybe do something. You know, about all, these, it. all these things are very very reactive. Um, so let me I just, just take can't... my my hat off to Canada <laughs> while we can for being proactive. Yeah. And, well, you know, I tell you, it's uh, and I can't and, and I, I we love Canada. This is this is and this I I remember I remember talking about this little. Um, because when I when I found out about it, I um I, I posted something on, on on Twitter about it, and I just I just thought that this is kind of interesting because it's the first time that you can actually see, you know, out in the open two lobbies going at it. Because you got the you know you got the, the the telecom, you know, big money, and then you have um, uh, aviation and the airlines. And it's going to see this is basically going to be a battle to see who who wins out at the end and i just can't believe that they're putting putting cell phones which one do you think is gonna win but hey hey on 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 the on the uh on the plus side you know all those all those all those tiktok influencers gonna be able to get their uh their stuff up uh a lot quicker so uh they'll be right at the scene of the crash Exactly. My phone exactly. My, well, my work phone has 5G capability. My regular phone does. I was going to say, I'm only no. 4G, so I got it LTE. wasn't my fault. No. Yeah. And then I got, uh, and then uh, you know, a bunch of people started commenting on that thing, saying, "Well, you know, how many, uh, how many uh, Cat Three approaches have you flown?" And there's people, and there's it, it really depends on where you fly, uh, you know, the the, the type of hmm. operation that you're uh, a part of and uh, types of airports that you fly in and out of all the time. And, you know, some of us have flown a lot more than others. And the fact that you haven't flown as many, like, I've done, so, you know, what, I, I, I lost count after 30. And I've done just on the last, uh, what, two two years that I've been back on the 7.6, I've done three. And so it kind of depends, you know, it's not it's not that yeah, it's, it's 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 a system that's there to be used when conditions are below optimum and and it's and it's a system that works and for the system to work all the all the components of that system need to be you know uh, where they need to be for the system to work properly you you're you're literally literally putting your life your life the your, your, the life of your passengers in the hands of this entire system mm-hmm. and one very important critical just part of the system is being compromised over it doesn't work know. unless the airplane knows how far above the ground it is exactly right exactly right and and um i i, I just don't understand I, I i hope nothing bad happens because mm-hmm. this is just a recipe well, for I was, disaster i was thinking about this the other day when i flew into um sacramento so obviously just passenger on that flight and i'm Looking out the windows, and there was very, very dense, low fog. But I was thinking about this particular issue and problem because it was, to me, it looked lower than cap one minimum, certainly. So I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if, yeah. Well, we yeah. don't want to sens- sensationalize it here at the APC. No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the 
horror story. There you go. But yeah. I mean, but 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 a as as the um, you know this 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 alert pointed out that uh, that that uh, accident in Amsterdam uh, was because of a faulty radio tower. Well. <laughs> No. The, uh, the 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 things that led up to the improperly um, the, reacting properly to the situation, yeah, yeah. you could blame it was, yeah, it, was, oh, it, it was obviously it was you know a, a chain of event and yeah. you know they were they were they were they were you know their little the, the the vectoring wasn't the best they were vectored mm-hmm. high on the glide slope they had to bring the power back and all that and then they didn't notice until the very end and that's true yeah but um you know having to and and then i can't imagine what what dispatchers and uh, are going to have to deal with now when they have to mm-hmm. when you, know, you have you know you know cat two cat three uh type weather being forecast at certain airports figuring out your alternates and mm-hmm. everything yeah else. and then you're i mean and and what if what if the entire because like it happens here, down here in southern california all the time you have one airport socked in and they're all socked in and then your 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 nearest alternate is what you know 35 minutes 45 minutes an hour away so does that mean that you're going to have to load up extra fuel for that and leave cargo behind and so it's just going to be a tug of war here until they figure it out finally but uh i i hope i hope that uh, that this whole thing you know gets gets figured out because there's you know it, it really is it really does have the potential for being something very bad oh and i i think that nick you had mentioned on an earlier episode when we were talking about 5g it is only the towers that are uh, the problem not the individual phones that have the 5g capability so uh, that's it's the signal being broadcast yeah. correct it's no, not the, the it's not the receivers right which is the phone yeah doesn't the phone broadcast 5G? apparently not or if it does it's not something that's a problem okay yeah hmm. I was in my research. I, I kind of stumbled on that. Anyway, own research. yeah, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing when I start doing my own research. All right, uh, let's continue on then with uh, this next item. Okay, that's hard for me to read this uh, this headline, but I'm going to do it. This yeah. is from avweb.com. Hero pilots keep out of control plane from crashing for five hours. Sounds like my job every weekend. <laughs> Hero doctor keeps clinic from crashing for five hours. <laughs> uh, okay, so this article from AvWeb, I'll read a little bit of it uh, before I switch to uh, the Aviation Herald. Uh, all's well that ends well, but Russian carrier S7 Airlines flight for 5220. <laughs> I added a couple of letters and numbers there. Uh, S7 Airlines flight. Let me take another swig of my celebration ale. A little lubrication there. There you go. Uh, probably too much. All right. Uh, S- more, more, more beverage, more bitter. No. Yeah. Here, let me read a little bit of uh, shimmy damper. Uh, I was just going to say, are we going shimmy damper here? Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, anyway, shimmy uh, damper alert. Russian was <laughs> saying shimmy damper alert. <laughs> Russian carrier S7 Airlines flight 5220 certainly got off to a terrifying start, perhaps due to a counterfeit de-icing fluid. But that's not true. Shortly after takeoff from Magadan Airport, just north of the Sea of Oh, Okhots, <laughs> far eastern Russia, Okhots. I don't know. What do you think? Anybody have a better good. pronunciation? Akatsk. Uh, Akat. Akats. I don't know. I'm from. I do Midwest. like that. Yeah, so. you're from some part of Russia, aren't you? 
Yes. Uh, the Airbus A321neo with 199 passengers and seven crew members on board began to gyrate wildly. Ooh, got my attention. Party. The crew uh, <laughs> declared an emergency due to airframe icing, according to a flight data recorder readout posted on social media, not yet confirmed to be from Flight 5220. The Airbus crew disconnected the autopilot shortly after takeoff. Actually, I think it disconnected on its own. After a slight descent that began about five minutes after reaching an altitude of 8,784 feet, the single-aisle airliner spent the next seven minutes in chaos as multiple flight parameters showed rapid oscillations for about seven minutes, according to a narrative posted on Catherine's report. The pitch attitude oscillated between minus 23.9 degrees and plus 43.6 degrees, (laughs) being... The most extreme values reached in that period, the aircraft rolled left and right with the extreme values being plus 49.8 and minus 91.1 degrees. Then there was like a turn. Yeah. That's nice. Wow. Uh, Also here, let me throw this in. Uh, The aircraft was rapidly climbing from 4,699 feet to 14,351 feet, then quickly descending to 5,084 feet from then on. Altitude remained difficult to control, read the narrative, with the aircraft climbing back up to 13,748 feet and descending to 4,556 feet at an average rate of about 1,000 feet per minute. Now, that's not bad. 1,000 feet per minute is not unusual. Um, Anyway, there were reports that uh, perhaps the de-icing fluids used were somehow counterfeit. Um, But um, let's – I'm going to skip this next article and just – go down to the Aviation Herald, which tends to be a little bit more accurate uh, than all the other news Or at least reports. less sensational. Yes, less yeah. sensational for sure. Have they ever used the word gyrating in one of their... Um, well, you know, Simon may have uh, in, in a different context. A different context, yeah. not with regards to yeah. what the passengers were doing on the plane. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, okay, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Um <laughs> Let's see. Uh, the uh, flight 5220 uh, was climbing out of Magadan's runway 10 when the crew declared mayday due to unreliable airspeed and related problems with the autopilot and auto thrust. Uh, the aircraft attempted to return to Magadan but had to abort their approach at about 5,000 feet. They attempted a second time to return but again needed to go around due to severe icing. The crew subsequently diverted, uh, decided to divert to Irkutsk. Russia, where the aircraft landed safely about four and a half uh, hours after departure. Hmm. On December 4th, 2021, uh, Rosa Viazia reported following takeoff, the aircraft flew into clouds and into a zone of severe turbulence accompanied by strong icing. As a result, the aircraft got into a difficult spatial position, according to the flight data recorder. The roll angles vary between. We talked about that before. Hmm. They declared a mayday. They were able to resolve the situation and to divert to an alternate airfield. No injuries reported. Okay, on December 8th, uh, Rosa Viazia released a first safety information stating the aircraft had been de-iced prior to departure in heavy snow. Temperature minus 9 degrees C, dew point minus 12, visibility about 750 meters. After takeoff, all three air data systems malfunctioned, resulting in unreliable airspeed. Uh, different airspeeds on each system. The flight controls went into minimum operation mode. Um, the uh, assignment says uh, unclear whether this means direct law. It probably does, I would imagine. I'd imagine so. Mm-hmm. The crew decided to return to Magadan. Then the aircraft 
however, stalled during the return, uh, prompting the crew to divert to Irkutsk, where the aircraft landed without further incident. The flight crew found frozen fluids in the nose section of the airframe disrupting the pressure sensors, barrier ice, as well as deposits of rough ice on the leading edges of the wings and radome. I don't know if you've already showed those pictures. Yeah, just uh, showing it now. Okay. Um, okay. Um, let's see. On December 9th, uh, Rosa Viazia reported in a safety brief that the aircraft had been de-iced in two stages. Uh, which is normal in this situation, first with fluid type 1 and secondly with fluid type 4. However, because fluid type 1 is is de-icing and type 4 is anti-icing. De-icing, right. Uh, However, this is the one that I think is kind of the crux of the problem here. However, only the wings and stabilizer surfaces were de-iced. The fuselage, which had accumulated a large amount of snow and the heavy snowfall, during the two and a half hours on the ground, had not been de-iced. After the windshield heating had been turned on, the snow melted and water flowed down the front part of the fuselage. Continuous snowfall and melting during taxi in ambient temperatures below freezing caused a layer of frozen ice at the front part of the fuselage, disrupting the airflow of the pitot tubes. Therefore, takeoff with the fuselage surface and engine hoods covered with a Thick layer of snow and icing and turbulence conditions posed a real danger to flight safety. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That was a fun ride they had, though. Oh, man. <laughs> Talking Whoa. about a roller coaster. <laughs> Definitely. Really Literally. Crazy. Wow. Huh. Um, yeah, this uh, flying flying, uh, flying in the uh, in the winter wonderland this time of year isn't uh, something I, uh, I'm very, uh, you know, <laughs> it's got to be done, but uh, one of the main reasons why I bid uh, Ontario during this time of year is because uh, the, the most of the flying I do is out to Hawaii. So oh, it's wow. uh, <laughs> there's a lot of icing going on. Got it. You know, don't have to deal with a lot of that drink. over there. But I mean, last year I did uh, the, the bulk of the flying out of Cincinnati during the winter time, and it's mm. uh, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, <laughs> you really are putting your life in the hands of the de-icers, and you're hoping that you're dead. They're doing a good job, and the um, on the on, on the airliners. I mean, no, the passenger airliners. At least you have the. Um, the benefit of having windows, you know, look out the window and uh, seeing whether the uh, wings are de-iced or not. Uh, you can do that as well on the 74 and the 777 on the freighters, but uh, not on the 76. 76, the uh, the cans, uh, the cargo cans, the ULDs fit very snugly in the fuselage. There's no way of getting down there and um, checking your wings. Uh, so the best you can do out there is uh, you just put your head out the window and make sure that uh, it's clear. And so uh, uh, the guys and gals that take care of that kind of work um, are... You know, we, we are counting on you. Absolutely. So, in this case, even if you could see the wings, I don't think that the was a problem. The wing was clear. The fuselage yeah. wasn't de-iced, and the whole issue was because of the refreezing of the fluids from the fuselage, you know, flowing what? down below the exactly. windows all over these very, very critical components called uh, pitot tubes. Pitot tubes and static. And I was going to say, if, if the conditions being what they were... Um, was it? Well, I mean, obviously they're de-iced, but I would imagine there's there'd be some kind of you know um, quality control of the fluids. I imagine there'd be some kind of cross check somewhere. Um, I don't know. And, well, it's uh, like you said, you're putting your trust in the skill of whoever is doing the de-icing and anti-icing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, it doesn't sound like it was an issue with the the fluids themselves. I think that counterfeit stuff. No, is a bunch I don't of BS. think so. I think it was, I think just, it was the, just the application. The yeah. 
the application yeah. was insufficient for the conditions and the amount of snow that had accumulated in sensitive areas. Yeah, and even even if you put if you even if you have the right amount of fluid and and the right procedure uh, accomplished and all that, it uh, we uh, when when we fly in 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 those type of conditions, we we deal with what's called a holdover time. So uh, the um, the you know, type four fluid and the anise fluid and space clays is very thick uh, fluid that uh, coats the wings. And uh, the way basically that works is that as you accelerate for takeoff, that fluid is going to shear off the uh, the wings, stabilizer and tail, uh, basically giving you a clean airfoil. Um, but um, the effic- the efficacy of the fluid uh, only lasts for such a for so long, and uh, so that uh, after the final application is complete on your on your on, on your aircraft, you you take you make a note of the time. And uh, nowadays we have these um, applications that have been certified by the FAA and CAA and, and all the all the authorities out there. And uh, you put in the um, the type of fluid that it was, and uh, that and the moment uh, that the, the um, atmospheric conditions outside the weather conditions and uh, the time at which the final application happened. And then you start this timer and it'll tell you um, uh, how long that, that application is good for. If you exceed that holdover time for the fluid in the current conditions, then you have to go back and get uh, another spray because then uh, you, the, the, uh, the efficacy of the fluid is not um, uh, guaranteed if you take off past that holdover time. So, um, and then you have to take, you know, keep in mind that you know, and, and the, the the whole the whole time you probably have your engines going, uh, so you you know you burnt fuel, and if and if holdover time expires, you got to go back and then get resprayed and get you know refueled, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun flying in the wintertime. Yes, so, it is. This makes me glad that I just fly in daytime VFR conditions, <laughs> and if we need to de-ice before the start of the day because you know some frost accumulated, we just pull the plane into the sun and wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Done. Yeah, not just pedo probes, of course. Down there, guys, they've got uh, three angle of attack vanes as well that could have been uh, quite severely affected uh, mm-hmm. by this. Now, of course, those pedo probes and vanes have their own internal heaters, mm-hmm. uh, which should keep them clear of normal snow and ice accumulation, but this wasn't normal. So they've got a lot of uh, melted slush and ice coming off the fuselage. It should have been all being cleared. It can cope with general um, conditions in the air, but uh, when you've got, I mean, sitting there for two and a half hours accumulating snow, and it had been at times heavy snowfalls, um, they, they've got to clear that fuselage. Uh, you can't expect to have that amount of uh, uh, freezing um, snow and ice around those sensitive uh, um, tubes and you know, instruments and expect to get away with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm amazed they uh, survived, quite honestly. Yeah. I find it remarkable that uh, they had this, nearly killed themselves, and then flew four and a half hours off to Like, you know what? Know. It's fine now. Just keep going. <laughs> it probably took them that long out of here. to stop shaking. Yeah. Yes. Are you okay I mean, now? Uh, I think so. Can we land yet? <laughs> yet. yet. I, I'm yeah. guessing by then the uh, all this, everything had come back. Uh, you know, the, the all, all the... Yeah, di- it sounds like once they were out of the, the severe icing. Worked. Yeah. Yeah. The heaters had eventually freed everything up, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. what a nightmare for them. I find it interesting that apparently S7 pilots are issued G-suits. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> what? 
Did I miss something? <laughs> yeah, with that, uh, I think with they're that, experiencing a lot of G's in their roller ride. Oh, okay. I well, gotcha. they, w- they okay. went over 90 degrees angle. Of, uh, yeah, but that, you could do that with uh, you know, zero G on that, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think that was a zero G uh, Probably not. Yeah, in this yeah. instance. Yeah. I would not. I mean, what From was it? Five thousand to fourteen, 14 and a half thousand, yeah. and then back down to five. Yeah, that's. Uh, I can do it all in zero G. I'm just wondering what these hero pilots did in the way of a visual inspection post uh, de-icing. I mean, did they? Well, I, I mean, what can you do? How can you see? Yeah, you know, what what could you do here to prevent this from happening? If if they didn't do what they were supposed to, or they were expecting the deicers to do, I mean, would there have been any clues in their instrument systems before they took off that something was amiss? I don't know. Mm. I've not flown the Airbus. Not, so I'm not until sure. you have. I don't think so. No, there's no real indication. So. We don't Unless have mirrors you're going to make your first officer go and stand on the gangway and look <laughs> at his aeroplane <laughs> for you. Because you, you but, know, but, or perhaps the captain should. But that's just it. I mean, the the the, the personnel that do the de-icing are supposed to do a, a visual inspection. Yeah, and uh, and you know, uh, tell you what the condition. And and that, that's one of the here. things that is passed on to you. <laughs> the de-ice torch. <laughs> that's one, that's one <laughs> of the things. That one of the one of the bits of information that's passed on to you when the yeah. when the ice man uh, tells you it gives you all the information of uh, the yeah. type of fluid that they use, the time, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 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 mixture and all that other stuff, and he and he tells you whether the aircraft's clean, it's clear or not. No, now I I don't know if he's reading off of some script or something just to, just to say it, but I mean he's supposed to make do an actual visual inspection to make sure that the, you know the thing's clear. Yeah. yeah so yeah. This is a, you know, most of the time when we de-ice, you know, we're not on the gate. You know, we're we're out somewhere. I mean, how does a crew, especially in an airplane like this, how do you get out and, you know, do an exterior you inspection? you out to de-ice pad and you're yeah. sitting there. You can't. You don't. You, that's, yeah. you just have to, as we've said before, in this world of aviation, there's a certain level trust. of trust. And uh, you have to trust that the people that are, you know, trained to do this operation are doing it correctly. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I know what the uh, what the uh, solution to this is, other than better training and better communication. Perhaps I don't know. I agree. I mean, the crew may have t- told them just do the wings and tail, you know, and uh, don't worry about the view. You know, I don't know. I wasn't there. Anyway, I think we should move on um, to the next item, and that would be. This one, uh, 01C, uh, Kalita Air Boeing 747-400. I'm sure that we have this in here because we knew that Rick exactly. was going to be with us today. Yeah. Uh, 747-400 en route on November 29th, 2021, dropped a panel. Not the first time that that's happened and probably not going to be the last. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, depends on what the panel is. Um, Registration, November 705, Charlie Kilo, performing flight 53 Alpha from Santiago to Miami, completed a seemingly uneventful flight with a landing in Miami about eight hours after departure. Post-flight inspection revealed, however, that a panel was missing and has caused substantial damage to right-hand flaps and a hole in the fuselage. Ooh. Whoopsie. The FAA reported aircraft landed and post-flight inspection revealed a missing panel. Top pieces of the right flap and the connecting rod were damaged, plus a hole in the fuselage. Uh, Let's see. The NTSB has opened an investigation into the accident. Uh, The aircraft is still on the ground in Miami uh, nine days later. Of course, I don't know if that 
may they may have flying by now. So that was as of what the fifth, uh, sixth? No, I think so. Yeah. I don't know what day, but uh, yeah. Um, so we thought, uh, have you ever had a, a panel fly off and and found missing when you arrived at a destination, mm-hmm. Rick? No, I've, I've never landed that hard. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, no, no, actually, I, I haven't. But I know people that have, and this mm-hmm. this is a common occurrence. This just happens, yeah. you know, every, every once in a while. Um, and uh, uh, it says here that there was a hole in the fuselage. So that tells me that, that the fact that they didn't they didn't have a a a, a, a pressurization problem uh, may have just been a um, you know hole in a, in a um, I don't know unpressurized part of the airplane or you know, gear well or a bearing or something like that. So it's a really no big deal. The flaps came down normally. So normal hydraulic system. So no issue there. Um, so it's just, uh, you're just going to have to um, fix it on the ground and then um, you just keep on going. Now you can, you can dispatch um, an airplane with, uh, you know, missing panels and missing components uh, based off of what's called the, uh, the uh, CDL configuration deviation list and uh, certain things can be missing. And when you reference that manual, it'll tell you what kind of uh, performance penalties are incurred. Um, and uh, and then that's that. I guess they'll, they'll fix the thing and it'll keep on going. I mean, these things are, you know, these seven fours, as we all know, they're built like trucks. And um, they're, they're built for panels to fall off. Yes. <laughs> There's a certain level of panels necessary. <laughs> yeah, to, right. you, see, you see what happened was that there was there was a 340 below them, and they were just ah. trying to climb it just right. Yeah, they were trying they, to bomb oh, the 340. Sabotage. <laughs> Sorry, Problem we was can, the th- Probably we can, we're quite capable of throwing our own panels off. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, they, and they missed it. So uh, that, was, that was the issue. They'll have to time their aim a little better the yeah, next exactly, time. Exactly. Yeah. I remember uh, being stuck in the, you know, the hour and a half queue to get to the end of the runway at JFK. And uh, the, the chief cabin crew came up and said that she had a warning on her panel saying that the uh, water, um, the panel on the water uh, filling um, area Port, at the back yeah. of the aircraft access yeah was uh open so i went uh, okay yeah all right then <laughs> yeah thank you so uh, <laughs> sounds unimportant let's continue I, I taxied all the way back oh. into our area <sighs> uh, and speaking to the engineers who said uh oh it's no problem we'll get underneath and have a look don't don't bother shutting down we'll be fine <laughs> so the <laughs> They came under the back of the airplane and said, uh, you know, uh, the, it was the filling panel, isn't it? Where all the bits and the hoses go. Anyway, they said, oh, it looks fine to us. So we taxied all the way back out again. Waited another about hour and Two tons short of fuel now. <laughs> yeah. Eventually got airborne. Actually, air traffic were very good and snuck us in, uh, you know, fit, mm-hmm. into the queue. Yeah. Got back home. And, of course, the panel wasn't secure. It had ripped off. And, oh, no. uh, Ew. Were they looking and at the wrong panel? Well, thankfully, off. thankfully, you went back and had the yeah covered your yeah yeah, ex- yeah you covered yeah, your side of things. Exactly. They they signed off on it. You went and <laughs> it went, and uh, you're good. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. I felt a bit. He's a nice guy. The guy who used to do us at uh, JFK, but I felt a bit sorry for him. But for heaven's sake, you know, if you're going to come and look at the airplane, look at the damned airplane. Exactly. Yeah, it looks exactly. good. Yeah. <laughs> And that, and that's, was this an American guy that looked at it? I'm afraid so. Yeah, yeah there you go. It was, a, it was a contract engineer. <laughs> that's right. Uh, it, we blew his hat off. I couldn't. 
Uh, well, some, boss. Yeah. Well, horse. <laughs> right, <Bye>. boy. <laughs> right about to you, throw. Yeah. And are they allowed oh, to wear their six guns on the ramp? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's required. Oh, Harry, especially JFK. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you need yeah. you need it there. <laughs> So, uh, there you go. Oh, okay. No, but I mean that's 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 just the you know, precisely the right thing to do because a lot of these a lot of these doors have these little micro switches that uh, you know get worn uh, worn out over time, and uh, you do get an alert up in the up in the flight deck, and if a if a light is on, you know you have to address it. You can't just you know go on you know willy nilly. Um, so uh, hey, um, but I'm 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 you know you're lucky that you got out of there with that uh, JFK traffic. They they were able to help you out there because oh absolutely yeah yeah they they were nice to us. Yeah, so. for a change. Yeah, for a change. <laughs> I was going to say uh, that's a it's not a normal thing. <laughs> With all love to uh, JFK. All right, uh, let's jump to this next one. Uh, NTSB blames inexperienced pilot for accident that killed three people. This is from Flying Magazine. Uh, let's see. The NTSB cite, cited a lack of pilot experience in the 2019 loss of a Cessna 421 Golden Eagle. That killed three people in Deland, Florida. Armand Girard, uh, 24, and Shauna Carbonaro, uh, 34, both of Deland, and Ernedro Philippe, 32, of Kissimmee, Kissimmee, please, Florida, uh, were killed when the multi engine airplane they were in went down in a wooded area in the afternoon of September 29, 2019. According to NTSB records, the aircraft was purchased in June of 2019 for $35,000 by Martin Flores of Texas. Flores told the NTSB that he bought the aircraft as an investment. He purchased the aircraft through an eBay auction, paying $6,000 for the repairs and another $4,500 for a pilot to ferry the aircraft to Texas. Of course, he probably thought that this money for the pilot to ferry the aircraft was for a qualified pilot to fly the airplane (laughs) nope after repairs were made he intended to sell the airplane flores told investigators that it was his understanding that the mechanic who was performing the repairs had found an instructor to fly the aircraft and the name of his contact was a person named um ernedro is that is that the way you pronounce that ernedro 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 yeah all right so i am uh, the mechanic stated that Philippe was identified as the pilot who would ferry the airplane to the uh, owner after repairs were made. However, Philippe, a private pilot with 155 hours, did not have the required training or certification to legally fly the complex, high-performance multi-engine aircraft. Gerard held a uh, commercial pilot certificate for both single and multi-engine airplanes and a flight instructor rating for single-engine airplanes. His logbook indicated 500 hours total time of which 40 was in multi-engine airplanes. Gerard's logbook did not show a complex endorsement or a record of an instruction received in Cessna 421. The investigation also indicated the toxology report. Uh, He had TH, Gerard, the uh, pilot flying, uh, had THC, a derivative of marijuana, in his system at the time of the accident, but it was not clear if he was impaired. The owner of the aircraft had had not given permission for the flight to take place. Thought he had. The mechanic in charge of making the repairs to the aircraft stated that he also had not given permission for the flight, as neither the repairs or the required paperwork and inspections required to return the aircraft to service have been completed. Uh oh. Huh. Oopsie. Two witnesses in the vicinity of the aircraft or the accident described the aircraft flying between 1,000 and 2,000 feet above the ground. One witness described seeing the 421 roll three times. 
before he lost sight of it as he as it descended into a wooded area approximately four miles from the departure airport. The landing gear and flaps appeared to be in the retracted position. The witnesses stated he heard the or the witness stated he heard the engines make two pop sounds. The wreckage was found at the base of a tree in an upright position. The cockpit was crushed and the fuselage fragmented. Though there was evidence of post-accident fire that consumed the left wing, it was determined that both engines were producing power at the time of impact, as the propellers were not feathered and there were freshly cut branches at the wreckage site. There were no indications of pre-impact flight control or engine malfunctions that contributed to the accident. Based on the pilot's lack of any documented training in the air accident airplane and the witness statements, the NTSB concluded that the pilot must most likely lost control of the aircraft. The NTSB stated it was likely Gerard who was acting as pilot in command at the time, although there was no record of him ever having flown a Cessna 421 before. How odd. Mm. Wow. So they that just is, took the thing is. for a joyride and just didn't. a little bit more than he could uh, he could do. Yeah, bit off yeah, more than you could before, chew. Apparently, the before the repairs were complete and it had been signed off by the mechanic, what were they thinking? I they don't weren't. Know. Yeah. No. What could go wrong? That's what they were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested here. I'm, I'm I'm wondering here. So the so the one guy had um, commercial single or multi. How did he not have a complex endorsement? I don't know. That doesn't seem right. No, um, generally, mean, that happens, although it's technically possible. So the multi-engine aircraft that I did my um, my training in was not high performance. So it was not complex? But, but, but it was so, complex, so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, right. So high complex is like uh, the... Uh, the it's complex, so you need three things. You need a, a variable pitch prop, yeah. flaps, and, land, and retractable landing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would be so, yeah, it would be kind of odd to have a multi-engine rating and not have but, and, and not yeah. have the complex. Yeah, you should have complex, but not the high performance hmm. is technically possible, I suppose. That's what that's kind of you know jumped at me there. That is yeah. weird. Gubby says the guy just thought he had to read the owner's handbook. Oh, <laughs> just read. The, yeah, oh, so that's that, true. So that's that's all you have to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Gubby. Just yeah. appreciate find that. the. Oh yeah. Darn okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking. I was thinking back to the guy with only 155 hours. He didn't have his high performance, but the it doesn't say anything about the guy who they think was PIC not having a high performance. Yeah. Just no complex endorsement, yeah. which I agree is yeah. bizarre. That it's, it's almost yeah. impossible. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Very hmm. interesting. Hmm. Well, they're not going to do that again. Nope, they're not. Well, they're not. Yep. Yep. Well, speaking of, um, I don't know, uh, piloting skills, uh, let's... Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. Uh, let's uh, do zero one one e Pilots' lack of flying explored after serious 737 go-around incident at Aberdeen. What is with the 737 and go-arounds? Well, when you go around a 737, the autopilot disconnects. You're actually hand-flying the thing. Oh, okay. That kind of uh, feathers or, or uh, dovetails in nicely with uh, the fact that uh, people are relying more and more on autoflight to fly airplanes yeah. and not manual yeah. skills. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't I didn't know that, actually. And actually, it made, it made sense because I went back and, and read that, uh, that accident report on that uh, Fly Dubai 7-3 mm -hmm. that went down after doing that go-around. And uh, then I spoke to a couple of 7-3 drivers, and they say, yeah, in fact, you go around the thing, it clicks off, and you're you're, you're along for the ride. You're you're in control, exactly. So. Well, well, which is it? One or the other? <laughs> along for the ride or in control? 
Well, in this case, apparently along for the ride. Along for the ride. UK investigators are examining whether lack of line flying as a consequence of the pandemic is directly linked to a serious go-around incident involving TUI or TUI Airways Boeing 737-800 at Aberdeen. Neither pilot had flown for significant periods during the 18 months prior to the 11 September incident, and the Air Accidents Investigation Branch has highlighted the difficulty in using SIMS simulators as a substitute for the real-world pressures and workload of line flying. Although the investigation has not established a link between this incident and a lack of recent line flying, it is clearly a possibility. Oh, that's the lawyers. <laughs> yeah, it's all, anything's a possibility. Uh, the aircraft had been operating from Palma de Mallorca to Aberdeen and was preparing for a Cat 1 ILS approach to runway 34. Owing to the presence of a search and rescue helicopter, which had been given priority, the 737 pilots were warned they might have to discontinue the approach. Okay. At this point, I would start reviewing my go-around procedures, go around procedures with my first officer. <laughs> hey, and, we might be going around. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. And hey, they told us about it in advance, so it's not going to be a surprise. Right. Well, you'd be wrong there, Steph. Oh, oh, this break-off instruction was confirmed at 2,600 feet, and the crew was told to climb to 3,000. That's only 400 feet, people, and turn left onto a heading of 270 degrees. Okay, so, you know, what? Nine, not even 90 degrees of turn. With the activation of go-around thrust, the single active autopilot disengaged, as uh, Rick, you mentioned, that once you start the go-around procedure and, and the uh, 7-3, you are manually flying the airplane. Notable events during the 737's aborted approach to Aberdeen. The aircraft began to climb from 2,250 feet some 18 seconds later. Hmm. That's a long time. He was, he was still doing seconds? his briefing. So Maybe one thousand, well, that's a good point. Two, one thousand, three, one thousand. <laughs> I haven't finished my go-around briefing yet. Yeah. That's kind of weird. That's a long time. And then it started its left turn. But before it reached 3,000 feet, it began to descend before the flight director had transitioned from altitude acquisition to altitude hold mode. Investigators determined that the descent rate peaked at 3,100 feet per minute. <laughs> what? The I know. The entire event occurred in instrument meteorological conditions, IMC. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go down here a little bit further. Uh, this special uh, bulletin aims to highlight that go-arounds from intermediate altitudes on approach can provoke errors before they are not because they are not practiced frequently. That's it, true. It stresses that both pilots had faced long stretches without flying over the previous 18 months as the pandemic forced airlines to slash operations and ground aircraft. Okay, that's fair. Uh, that happened to most airlines out there. Both pilots had undergone numerous simulator session, sessions over this period in order to retain currency, but the inquiry says the captain had flown only 10 flights in the month prior to the incident. Let me pause for a moment. Uh, how many flights would you have flown in uh, the month, in a month period, Nick? Uh, three. Okay, thank you. Four. Thank you. I just wanted to kind of point out that having 10 flights in the month prior to the incident not unusual. is not, I mean, that's probably better Actually, than average. Yeah, it's better than average. Well, for a long old pilot. Depends on yeah. the type of flying that you're doing. Right. Yeah. While the first officer was operating only his fourth flight in almost 11 months, having completed two flights with a trainer seven days earlier. Yeah, it's a little less. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they, they, it said that they had been, been to several and... simulator sessions and yeah. then you practice uh, these things. Uh, yeah. I'm going to make the point that in line flying, you don't normally practice go-rounds. No. They're very rare. I can't, you know, I can, mm -hmm. yeah. 
the fingers of one hand in my entire career have I done go-rounds. The place yep. you do them is in the simulator. Yes. So if these yeah, guys right. have been doing lots of simulators, they've probably been practicing lots of go-rounds. So I'm mm. not quite sure how they equate this simulator as to the lack of go-round practice. Well, I have a question about this particular um, scenario, though, because their breakoff instruction was given at 2,600 feet, and they were climbing to 3,000 feet, and then not much of a turn there as well. Um would you normally do full go around procedure there, activation of go around thrust, well, and 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 that's that's exactly what I was going to get into. Uh, the, the problem with it, with with um, at least in Boeing's. Um, so when when you fly an ILS approach, right? So you 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 arm once once you're on your on your final vector to join the localizer, and you're finally clear for the approach. You arm both the localizer and the glide slope modes of the autopilot, and you press the approach button. You capture the localizer, fly capture the glide slope, come down. Now, both the lateral and the vertical aspect of the autopilot and flight director system are being controlled by signals from the ILS from the ground. Um, when you, when we talked about this a couple episodes ago, when you put the flaps out up, the go around mode arms, right? And if you are to go around from being fully established on an ILS, the only way to get out um, of um that localizer glide slope armed mode is to go around. Just you hit the go around button and you get your 2,000 feet a minute climb and the airplane goes into go around mode. So it's going to give you the amount of thrust required to get you that 2,000 feet a minute climb. You know, it, it doesn't matter how close you are to your level of attitude, which altitude, which is why it's so important that if you're doing an intermediate go around like these guys did, um, you are on the ball there because you're going to get, you know, you're going to get that bump of thrust right away. You're going to blow through 400 feet of altitude and yeah. like, like that no time. Exactly. And even more so, even more so the fact that, that, that on seven threes, the, the, the autopilot disconnects, you, you really have to be on the ball uh, because you, know, you hit go around, you disconnect the, uh, the, the uh, localizer glass aspects of it. And then you have to re-engage another lateral and vertical mode as well. Um, because until you reselect something um, to the effect of either you know flight level change or vertical speed, uh, the vertical mode of the go around of the of the autopilot is still going to be on go around mode, giving you that two thousand feet a minute required to get you to that go around altitude. So you have to be quick on selecting the correct button up on the mode control panel, right, to capture the altitude, and then on top of that deal with the lateral aspect of the flight and which in this case would be head and select getting you to the correct heading um or, or lnav if you're flying the published missed approach off of the flight management system um and once the problem select, with that is, is I've, I'm, I'm sorry simple i have a question here which might be a dumb question once you select go around can't you just then click everything off and fly manually Yes. Well, you can. Well, you're, you can. And you're you are flying manually and, and in this case. And, and it's, it's and off the seven three anyway. So and the, the, and the problem with the whole, this whole thing is, is that you know the pilot flying is actually handling the aircraft, and then the pilot monitoring now has the has to you know select the correct select mode on the, the new. on the mode control panel because the, the whoever's flying the aircraft has you know their handful literally because they're flying the airplane on seven three. So it's a very very tricky maneuver. Um, and if it's not practiced, um, it's, you know, obviously as, as Nick said, you know, I can also count uh, the times I've gone around with, 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 you know, the fingers on one hand. Um, and, in the, in, in the simulator is actually quite interesting. <laughs> you see, you, you know, they give you one of these scenarios where they do an intermediate go around 
And it's just, you know, things are happening Chaos. fast and you and you overspeed <laughs> flaps and you forget to put the gear up. And it's like, you know, and then and, and on the on the on the post uh, simulator um, a briefing, the guy goes, what the heck happened? Mm hmm. You know, and it's it's just it's just it's just what happens. At Acme a couple of years ago, and during our recurrent training scenarios, we went over a bunch of these types of situations where you know, let's back up. the The go around procedure is built so that you're at minimums and you're pretty close to the ground, yeah. and you need all that power and pitch up and everything else to get you away from the ground as rapidly as you can be mm-hmm. going. And uh, in this case, you're all already at the altitude you need to be. And this is almost one of those situations where maybe you initiate a go around procedure and then almost immediately you say, okay, that's going to be way too much power. We need to put the pitch back down. We need to kind of go into a, a normal, uh, uh, almost like a cruise flight scenario controlling the mm-hmm. airplane, not a go around procedure. So you can't always go around. So yeah, you that's can't, exactly yeah. right, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our airbus procedures we used to have three different types of go around there obviously the easy one which is the one you always practice mm-hmm. at decision height there was uh, one at a sort of intermediate height below the acceleration altitude and one above the acceleration yeah. altitude and generally speaking as soon as you got height beneath you and you don't need all that um, speed we would just push the throttles into toga to initiate the go around then immediately bring them back to climb mm-hmm. and then grab the autopilot and start adjusting it mm-hmm. um, or you could just deselect uh, the approach and just adjust whatever you need to on the autopilot exactly. and when mm-hmm. it was safe to let the aircraft and that and that is up. and that is something that you that you folks on the airbus have that we don't you so once the localizer and glide slip capture then that's it. You're 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 going down the chute to the ILS. You're locked in. <laughs> you are locked in. So I remember I along mean, for the ride. Uh, even with my airplane, you have to be. You have to know how to get it out of that mode, and it's not easy. It's not like just hitting one button and it's going to happen. There are different things. Sometimes you have to, you know, de-select uh, the frequency or do all kinds of different modes to, to finally get the thing out of that. Uh, of that ILS, you know, yeah. localizer and glide slope track capture. So one one of the ways, uh, at least I personally try to mitigate that when I'm in a very you know high um, traffic area and I can and and actually this 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 did save me one time um, anticipating a go around an immediate altitude is you, know, you capture the localizer normally with the localizer uh, mode of the autopilot and then you just capture the glide slope with vertical speed and you fly the glide slope on vertical speed. So you're, you're you're on the glide slope, but you're just you're just tracking it using the vertical speed mode of the autopilot. And and uh, when this happened to me, and the and, and the person in the controller told me to go around, um, uh, I had just gone through go around altitude. Told me to go around, maintain my go around altitude. I think I just I'd, I'd gone through it by I think it was under a thousand feet. So all I really did, I was just I just treated it as I you know I um treated it as a as a normal just level change maneuver mm-hmm. where i just you know put the other out you know the new altitude up and just went flat level change and the airplane just went back up to the uh, altitude that it needed st- still tracking the localizer until i was given a new uh, a vector off the approach to come back around so that's one way you can do it, at least on boeings um and mm-hmm. uh, i wish that's one of the things actually i wish that uh, that that um that that boeing did a little better there uh, given as an op- uh, the option of deselecting the approach um for you know if anything uh, to, to, to a yeah, the aircraft I fly aren't so fancy. You could just turn right. off the autopilot and it'll stop flying the approach for you. Yeah, so wait a minute. Rick, you actually did something <laughs> like you used your pilot skills and your pilot brain to fly the airplane and do it, make it do what you wanted it to do? No, that is so, so weird. 
Believe it or not. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Maybe I, I surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> well, that's what we're supposed to do. Thank you. But I think uh, the you know the, this these accident investigation people are actually on the lookout for anything that they can highlight as a problem because they're anticipating hassles with people coming back to flying who haven't had a lot of recent experience. I'm not quite sure they hit the nail on the head with this one. No. But I think it's good that they're on the lookout for it. That's Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think it's, it's thinking about scenarios that could be problematic for people if they haven't thought through them in a yeah. while. Right. Yeah. Bring that to light in training. And it's, uh, it's good for, like, podcasts like ours to talk about <laughs> these fodder. things and, you know, make yeah. people think about, yeah, man, maybe I really need to sit down and think about what I'm going to do in this particular situation, you know, the scenario. Yeah. And that's exactly it. When I mean, you're given an approach clearance, uh, even if there's nobody ahead of you, you know, just think about what you're going to do. What's what's the what's the scenario going to look like? What's the procedure going to look like? You know, just uh, if if you land, then that's great. But you shouldn't approach to go around and you begin to take off roll to reject. Just if you, th- if you think of it that way, then you won't be, you know, if, if something does happen, it, it's something that you plan for, you know, beforehand. Yeah. And, and, and you it. communicate that with the person that you're flying with. And exactly. so everybody knows, you know, what's going to what potentially might happen and what we're going to do no in surprise. that situation. No surprises. Oh, okay, finally, this one. <laughs> this happened a while ago, but it's one of these you just we're can't. Still talking about this. You just can't pass this up. It's, well, it's about cats. It's about cats. You know, cats are yeah. so cute. No, they're not. A Delta passenger on a flight from <laughs> Syracuse to Atlanta was breastfeeding her hairless cat and refused to stop. Now, why are they picking on hairless cats? That's what I'd like to know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, The incident allegedly happened aboard a Delta flight 1360 from Syracuse, New York to Atlanta. It was a Delta connection carrier message message sent by crew member through aircraft communications addressing and reporting system claims passenger was breastfeeding her cat. A Delta staffer requested that the flight be met by Redcoats, who are elite airport customer service ex. I wouldn't say elite, well, the, but they are the airport British customer weather? service experts. Yeah, the Redcoats are coming. Yeah. Well, the if Redcoats. You, uh, if you say that in the United Kingdom, you're talking about a Butlins uh, holiday camp. Um, That's the same thing over here. Same thing. <laughs> uh, flight attendant claimed in a TikTok video the pet owner lifted her shirt and was trying to get her swaddled and screaming hairless cat. To latch. Hmm. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she refused she to. Some... She refused to stop when asked by a flight attendant. Uh, it took place from Syracuse to Atlanta. The tale of the purportedly unhinged feline lover, became. I guess they're talking about the Who cat. This uh, became public knowledge no. after a screenshot went viral on social media, showing a message that was transmitted by a Delta crew member to colleagues on the ground in Atlanta. I, I'm confused. Are we talking about hinging cats or latched cats? Um, um, I think we're talking both in this case. <laughs> okay. Unhinged. <laughs> yeah. Has hinges and Un- latches. Wow. Unhinged and latched. Unhinged cat. cat. <laughs> wow. Unhinged cat owners of latched cats. Ah. <laughs> let's see. Let's just leave that yeah, one there. Yeah, that's a, probably enough. That's enough, enough. Okay, let's just uh, stop right there. Thank you, Liz. Good, good idea. And let's move on to this part of the show, which I enjoy so much. Getting to know us. <laughs> I'm not going to sing words, although I am doing it now for some reason. Anyway, getting to know us. It's that time of the show where we kind of 
talk about mm, mostly non-aviation related stuff, just stuff happening in our lives. And the big thing that happened for all of us here uh, at APG, the crew, was our big 500 episode. And I tried to express um, my thanks for a bunch of people uh, toward the end of that whole thing. And uh, I'm afraid that I may have forgot some people that I wanted to thank for sure. And uh, so I thought that this might be a good time for us now that the dust has settled. Uh, it's what, it was the 3rd of December when we Two weeks ago, yeah, did, yeah, two weeks ago tomorrow. So uh, we took the week off after the 500 because it was a, a lot of work, a lot of prep work involved in in doing the show, and I, I, the crew just needed to take a breather, especially me. And uh, so that's what we did. And uh, during that time, we had a chance to kind of talk about it and debrief and and uh, kind of relive the whole thing. And and uh, it just, I thought, you know, I think we need to do a cleanup of uh of of the event and all the wonderful people that attended and uh supported us in our effort to celebrate the 500th episode. So with that in mind, I'd like to go to my notes here and uh the first thing that I want to say and I don't know if uh, Richard is still in the in the live audience right now or not, but the first person I got to the uh, hotel uh, in Atlanta on um on Thursday, Thursday, the 2nd of December, and in the uh, afternoon, and I was waiting at the elevator, and I saw this uh, this man, this gentleman, uh, with a uh, blue, dark blue shirt on that had the uh, Acme, Fly Acme Airlines logo on it, and he turned around and introduced himself as Richard Brooks, and honestly, he said, well, I didn't recognize him, and I'm thinking, you know, have we met before? And he goes, no. And he said, you know, I retired last year, and it still was not ringing any bells in my head. And and Richard, if you're listening right now, you're probably thinking, yeah, you're kind of looking like, uh, what are you talking about? Who are you? And then he mentioned that his employees had uh, set up this surprise shout-out uh, right before he retired last year, December 4th, I believe. And a, a lady named Ashley had contacted us. And she worked for the Cecil County Department of Emergency Services in Maryland. And uh, she was talking about Richard Brooks, her chief, uh, is an avid fan of our podcast and listens every week. And all. That. And so it's, as soon as he said that, I went, ah, oh, I know exactly who you are. And uh, I'm so happy that you were able to come down uh, for our 500th episode. And he said I, he wouldn't miss it for anything. And so. Oh, he's here. He's the reason, okay, yeah. Richard is here. So the thing I want to mention about Richard is that um, he immediately said, hey, what do you need me to do? You know, what do you need help with? And he was basically my right-hand man man for uh, the entire, um, you know, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and even some on Saturday before he had to leave early, I believe. And uh, so anyway, I just wanted a big shout out to Richard because he helped me so much uh, just like unpacking the car and getting stuff inside and setting up and taping uh, Ethernet cables and XLR cables and everything else. I mean, he was like, I don't know what you call those people that do all that work in the background for setting up gaffers. Gaffers. Yeah. He was my yeah. master gaffer. Mm -hmm. That's what I said. Master gaffer. Don't, you know, don't put anything else in there. Um, but uh, anyway, he's, he did such a, a great job in helping me. Uh, so thank you, Richard. I really do appreciate yeah, it. Uh, you job, were just Richard. awesome. Yeah. So, um, 
And then uh, Mike Carroll said, hey, do you need anything, Jeff? And I said, yeah, I think I may not have brought enough power cords. So uh, Mike Carroll's, uh, you know, the host of Flying in Life podcast, he uh, was able to throw a bunch of because he hadn't put his Christmas lights up yet. So he had all these power cords <laughs> and uh, which worked out perfectly. And he brought and I used almost every one that he brought. So thank you, Mike, for that. Um, Jeff Jet, he's a, a jet fuel Java guru he is the uh, guy that uh, owns the uh, coffee roaster and i love this coffee that i drink almost all the time and uh, i ended up getting a bag Uh, he brought several bags of coffee and i snagged one of them and it was called the tomcat house blend i think i love it it's really a little bit lighter roast than i'm used to and i love it but anyway he said at some point i don't remember exactly when that he has set up a new um code a discount code for all of us av geeks and it's good until new year's day and it's um 50 off so that's a huge discount wow, that's generous uh so you use the code dec all capital letters dec for december 500 dec 500 50 off as many bags of coffee as you can buy but it's only good for that one purchase so um yeah, check out his his coffee is amazing. It's really really good. And by the way, he is a pilot, and he is um, hoping that this uh, coffee roasting company will provide income for him to continue in his journey to uh, continue to get ratings and such. And I'm not sure what the what the end game is. Perhaps um, I'm sorry, Jeff, if you've told me this and I've forgotten or not. But I believe he may want to someday, you know, do this for a living, uh, the flying thing. But uh, I can tell you one thing. If he's as good at flying as he is at roasting coffee, he'll be an excellent pilot. So thank you, Jeff, for uh, for bringing all the trinkets and bags of coffee and just helping out in so many ways. I really do appreciate that. Sat next to him at the Louisiana Bistro that night, and uh, we had a good time. Um, Martin Kemp, uh, working for um, Four Flight Jefferson, gave me a poster, which you might be able to see if you're watching the vis- video. The box is right behind me here. Uh, Fanny, one of the little uh, little donkeys that uh, Greg Peterson brought with him, 300, I think he brought, uh, is is a perched upon the uh, the box with the poster, and it. it's a poster of the uh, of a uh, iPad EFB with the uh, with the f- flight uh, Jefferson. Flight Deck Pro software that uh, many airlines use, including Acme. Uh, and he also gave me a really cool, let's see if I can find it. I guess you call it a luggage tag. Ooh. Um, it says Captain. Can you see that? And uh, Jefferson on the back. So I added that to my collection of uh, tags on my backpack. Oh, at least it doesn't say Captain removed before flight. Yeah, well, you know, this one, the Lost Aviator, speaking of coffee roasters, pilots and coffee roasting must go together. Um, they sent me this one here, this uh, drink before flight. I have flight. as well. And <laughs> it's on my cooler. A lot of people uh, say, what does that say? <laughs> drink. A little provocative. And I said, no, you got to look at the other side. It says, Lost Aviator Coffee Company. So it's coffee. Okay, drink coffee. Ah, yeah, right. a couple of uh, furloughed uh, Canadian aviators. I don't know if they're still furloughed or not. They're probably back at work. Yeah, I see, yeah. I see that one when a, when a Fed walks in. You know, yeah, cockpit. I'm going to say, yeah, here we go. <laughs> like, uh... You did read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, read the whole thing there, Fed. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are having internet 
connection issues, um, hardwired internet uh, before the show started. There was a, a lot of catastrophes going on in the background. And uh, Ernie Eaton uh, was there uh, with his son, Craig, uh, who was also, he was upgrading a captain, I think, for uh, Sky West uh, at the flight safety or like like almost right next door to the hotel. Uh, but Ernie came down and was present at the uh, at the event, and he really helped coordinate with the offsite internet guy that uh, was able to um, put in the proper codes and Mac IDs and all these different things to get the hardwired Ethernet to work. Without it, I don't think we would have been able to do the show. So thank you, Ernie, for helping out with that. Uh, Greg Peterson, the big ass fan guy, as I mentioned, and that's really the name of the company, by the way, big ass fan company in Lexington, Kentucky, Fanny, the little donkey that you can see right behind me here. He, as I said, he, yep. he, he brought a bunch of those and, um, let's see. Oh, JJ Pittsburgh gave me, uh, where is it? I don't know if you can see it. This gin from Pittsburgh, JJ Pittsburgh. Uh, it's called Wiggle Gin. Uh, I don't know. It's a uh, wigglewhiskey.com. And it's a Dutch style gin. And it's very good. And I told JJ we're going to have to drink some of this together. And then we never got around to it before the whole thing ended and JJ had to leave. So, JJ, well, I'll save some for us to have some next time you're down here or I'm up there. And thank you, by the way. Uh, Hillel gave me a, a mug. Um, Glazier, that's his last name, Aviation. And it's a very nice mug for holding beer and coffee. Not at the same time, though. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a funny mix. Well, yeah. you can have a coffee stout. You know, yeah, that's better. true. Yeah, I guess there are, there are times when the two kind of mix. Uh, Hillel also helped us out uh, in many ways behind the scenes and worked with Liz to coordinate a lot of things, including taking some pictures, which we'll uh, show a little bit later uh, in the show. So thank you, Hillel, for all that help. Uh, Jeff Falmouth sat next to me and was uh, also a big help in uh, preparing for the show and also, most importantly, helping me break down everything and pack things up um, on Saturday. Uh, We got to spend some good time together uh, alone on Saturday. Uh, Not not no, Liz, not not what you're thinking, not in the room, in the uh, in the conference room. Um, Stephen and Marcy, uh, who, by the way, will be newlyweds, uh, in, uh, two days, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. This, uh, this Saturday, the 18th there, uh, is their wedding, which I'll be going to. And, uh, he, uh, and she brought a full co- cooler full of beer, really, really good beer. Uh, that was That's fed so to Stephen. me. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen, for that. Um, that was a big help. And then, uh, Jim Mercado, I just wanted to, I, I know I did thank him during the show, but I wanted to thank him again for coming up with the 500 episode logo, which is a, an adaptation of the fly Acme logo and the, the glasses. And not only did he design the logo, but he took the bowl by the horns and said, I'm going to go ahead and just coordinate all the printing and the shipping and everything else. And a couple of cases were shipped over to the UK and uh, three cases to us here in the US. So uh, thank you so much, Jim, for doing that. I can't tell you how much that meant to me and took so much off my off my shoulders. So um, 
let's see, uh, I'm going to look at the spreadsheet that Liz uh, uh, put together. And not everybody that attended in Atlanta is on the spreadsheet, but I just want to go over quickly. Uh, uh, Harris Bergman, it was nice seeing you. Uh, I, I wish that we had more time to talk, but uh, I know you live in the Marietta area, so we'll have an opportunity to do that, get some more coffee in the future. Um, let's see, I talked about Richard Brooks. Da- uh, Laura Davis. Oh, by the way. This is something that um, was given to me. Um, it's a, uh, a Delta. I don't know why Delta. Come on. You couldn't find one with the uh, Acme livery on it. Uh, MD-88 and uh, this, this card that goes with it. And this is back from uh, July of 2021. Uh, Oshkosh. Uh, Jeff, we saw this and thought of you again for the 1,000th time this week. <laughs> it's nice to be thought of 1,000 times in a week. Thank you. Uh, well, maybe I, I would uh, I would assume that that's a, in a positive way. Um, maybe not. Uh, wishing you clear skies, tailwinds, and unlimited IPAs. Miss you and can't wait to see you here next year. Yeah, I look forward to that as well. Uh, your adoring APG fans, Laura Davis, Logan Lynch, and David Abbey. So the three of them got together and bought. Now, it's still in the box. I haven't had a chance to put it together, but uh, I got it. Thank you very much, guys. Okay. Um, let's see. Harry, I don't, Perry Heyman, did I even get a chance to say hi to him? He said he was arriving late. I don't remember that. Um, Stephen Ivey, Mike Carrolls, Martin Kemp. Um, oh, the, the Van Ram brothers were there, both Tim and uh, Mark uh, from both coasts, uh, East Coast and West Coast. Bi-coastal. Uh, bi-coastal, yeah. And uh, Tim Yancey and uh, our mystery guest, which uh, Mike Carroll's blew uh, the uh, the cover of uh, the day before. Uh, <laughs> Glad you finished that sentence. <laughs> yeah, blew the cover of. Uh, Ryan R.H. Oops, R.H., um, uh, showed up from opposing bases, and that was a uh, that was very special. So, and he had a nice uh, piece of feedback that was read out by Captain Nick uh, on the uh, live show um, on the third of December. So, uh, anyway, if again, if I missed anybody, um, I, I'm sorry, but there are just so many people that helped in so many ways, and it was such a great time. <sighs> That's uh, all I wanted to do was just kind of talk about. Um, you know, the, the show again. And, uh, do we talk about the cover art yet that, uh, you did? No, no Nick? I haven't showed it yet. Okay. Uh, I, I just fancied up the one we'd already done, but, uh, well, there you go. It's pretty nice. I think, uh, lots of 500s on there and, uh, <laughs> yeah, lots of balloons and confetti. Takes, yeah, takes a lot of time to type in all those 500s. Uh-huh. I think there's probably a way to do it. So you don't have to type out each one. Well, yeah, I wish that you'd told me that beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was a beautiful piece of artwork. Thank you, uh, Nick. And we we understand the uh, uh, how you got all the ideas for, for the 500 uh, episode. Lots of pictures in there that he put together. A lot of painstaking work. So thank you, Nick, for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. And um, that is all I have. I know it's a lot. but And I knew that was going to take a lot of time. But I felt it was necessary to do because I just wanted to let everybody know what a great time that I had, even though it was a little bit uh, 
Oh, I do need I need, do need to thank someone that was over there in the UK, Nick, uh, your right hand man over there, uh, Nev, Neville Bounds, um, oh, yes. was uh, doing a lot of last minute troubleshooting as well, and we were working together to do what was necessary to to get everything all lined up so that we could actually do this. I, there was actually a moment, or maybe more than one moment, that I thought that this was not going to happen. Yeah that this was going to be something that we're just going to have a party in the UK and we're going to have a party in the US, but we're not going to do a show because the uh, we're having issues with the audio. And, well, the internet to begin with and the audio and the monitor speakers and the feedback, and it was just horrible. It was really a mess. And uh, luckily, we, we worked that out before we uh, got the show started. So anyway, thank you, Nev. Uh, you, you the man. Uh, thank you so much for all your hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. And uh, d down at my end, this I, I can't uh, um, talk about everybody because there were just so many people mm -hmm. who were there and having fun and uh, wanting to help out. But um, Chris Postill saved uh, our bacon because um, he provided our internet link through his uh, very fancy uh, phone. Um, and I must have when I saw it stuck up in the window. Uh, with a little battery bank there to keep it going for the whole show. I thought this is never going to work. work. <laughs> but, but it did. It was brilliant, Chris. So thank you very much indeed for that. And uh, Captain Nige, who uh, kept me well-fed with beers and provided some very nice um, flagship ale. So uh, that was absolutely What about brilliant. Captain Al? I mean, Captain Al was the guy that did that for 200 I guess he Nigel did, took over. Indeed, huh? yeah. <laughs> Nigel decided that was his job because <laughs> okay. he was cl closest to the cold box, I think. That well, was brilliant. Uh, um, but, tip my uh, hat to Captain Al and his efforts in the chicken nugget eating contest. Oh, and yeah. I am already in training great. for the next and, time. And Pip's really uh, nice bit of um, uh, editing there to yeah, that uh, funny. do that. That yeah, was very good. good. Yeah, there were so many good things about that. Um, uh, while I'm talking, shall I just carry on? Because yeah. uh, I, I want to say a big thanks today again to Greg Willits, who has uh, provided a, a lovely uh, reading for today's Plain Tale. And um, I may not get a chance at the time, but uh, if ever you need a voiceover artist, gregwillits.com, he's the man. Go see him. Um, a couple of days ago was uh, in the PTUK Christmas special, which was great fun. You'll see it... Uh, I think uh, Christmas Day, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere close to that. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I have mentioned the pandemic is uh, the new variant. The uh, Omicron is uh, sweeping across uh, the United Kingdom. But uh, sadly, uh, it's affected my family now. So they, they, my youngest son no longer lives with me. He's got his own place with his uh, lovely lady. Sadly, they're... Um, having to isolate now so that's rather thrown our christmas uh, into turmoil like they're both okay-ish I mean, they're suffering a little but uh, it's not serious so far so uh, fingers crossed for them not as much as they uh, suffer if they actually were there with you and Julie. yes exactly oh, right <laughs> it's christmas, Jeff. So it's christmas. <laughs> oh, i'm just kidding you know now uh, we know that uh, adam uh, Spink, uh, our air traffic controller yeah, from he Heathrow, 
Yeah, he he was due to be there. He was uh, he'd been clobbered by track and trace, so he didn't have COVID, and he's fine. But uh, he had to isolate isolate until he had got the results of his PCR test. So uh, he missed the five hundredth. Um, he's remained clear of COVID, and he's got over his cold as well. So we met up for a quick lunch at. Uh, Blackbush Airport, just for fun. I was getting my car serviced, and uh, he was uh, free of work, so uh, we had lunch together. Thanks very much indeed for picking up the tab, uh, Adam. I owe you one. Very kind of you. Thanks very much for that, and uh, lovely to chat to you. And I was able to give him his 500th glass because he wasn't there to pick it up himself. What a lovely memento that is, and thanks very much indeed, Jim, for getting those across to the United Kingdom for everyone to... uh, have um and uh that's that's really it for me and uh, nothing else has happened uh last few days so uh that's good cheers yep there's a glass right there that liz has on the uh, uh yeah. on the screen that looks like a used one it does look like uh <laughs> it has been wow. used would it be used. they weren't used well i mean that's a good thing to be used i guess yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah. i like being used um Let's see. What as long as we have the uh, slideshow, why don't we uh, thank? I see you're backing it up to uh, the beginning, and we're going to see some of the photos that that uh, Hillel took. That's uh, the picture outside of the window. That the room that we were in was right there, uh, overlooking the uh, the North Runway Complex of uh, Atlanta International Airport. Uh, there's uh, uh, the crew set up, uh, or some of us. Uh, there's Roger in the background and Jeff Dana, Jet. and uh, Jeff Jet and uh, Jeff N, and uh, R H uh, sitting there uh, having a beer and watching and thinking. Hey, I'm glad I don't have to worry about any of this stuff right now. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah, look at these guys. Uh, the, th- the thinkers, the jumper to, dumpers. Yeah, that's us. Yeah, up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the uh, view of the panel. There's Radio Roger in the foreground. Look away, Dana, look away at those cables. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nev, don't please don't don't judge me. Uh, didn't have time to, you know, pretty up the cable uh, management. Um, Go ahead, judge away. Yeah. Well, stuff doesn't. I think Dana's the only one who knows that his picture is being taken here. I think so. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> because we're concentrating on something that's uh, directly in front of us uh, here. Oh, the yeah. There's Jeff. So, uh, three and, things, according to you, Jeff. What's that? You, you're holding up three fingers. Oh, I am. Oh, that's true. I am. I don't know what we're talking about at that point. Uh, there's there's Radio Roger and Dana, and uh, another shot of us at the front and the uh, monitor uh, screen behind us. And that was during the plain tale when you were talking about your uh, late father, uh, Andy Anderson. And then there's some Thanks. people uh, hanging out uh, after the recording. Um, and, uh, just in that room that you can see behind them is where the bar and the, um, and the hors d'oeuvres were located. And you can see that they're, they're already enjoying some Hi, of those. Jim. There's uh, Tim Van Ram and Jeff Jett and Armando and Edwin, uh, from Orlando uh, works for JetBlue and, mm-hmm. uh, another close up there, Armando and, uh, Edwin and Dana and, uh, uh, Ed Harris, right? That's his name, I believe. I think so. um, Andy Harris. I am the worst with names. I'm the worst with names. Probably don't ask me who's. Yeah. Andy. Sorry, Andy. Uh, and that's Javon uh, that I'm having a little talk with. Uh, Javon. Very serious. Uh, Monsanto. Yes, we are having a very, 
very serious conversation. And you can see Mike Carroll's in the background there. And there's our age and Tom Dugan with the mustache. He said he, uh, he grew that for uh, Movember and he kept, <laughs> he kept it on because he wanted to have it when we had our 500 episode because of the mustache thing. And he's had to wait five years? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's Laura Davis in the background there. I yeah. think we have another one of uh, her. How's her mustache going? Yeah. Let's see. Go ahead. I don't know. Mine there was pretty. Oh, with Fred. Yeah, there's Fred and <laughs> Laura uh, Davis. Ah, amount of mystery. Uh-huh. And there's the uh, 500 episode glass. So there, those are my pictures. Uh, or actually, Hillel took all those. So thank you, Hillel, for doing that. And uh, Nick, I think you said you may have some photos of uh, your end of things for the 500. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, happily, okay. uh stick those okay. up. Liz is trying to find them. There she is. That's okay. I've, I've got it, Liz. Yeah. Uh, there, there's the wonderful Nev. And uh, more importantly, there's um, uh, Phil Catling in the middle of the back with his thumb up. I'm okay. not quite sure what his thumb is up, but it's up. <laughs> oh, no. He, he's show. the listener whose idea it was to go to that fantastic museum. So oh, brilliant. Thanks, Phil. Very nice. His son was on board as well. Those are two uh, hey, Germans. Jawohl. An uh, A380 captain and the lovely hotel uh, owner, um, Tillman. So uh, well done, Stefan and Tillman, for making it across. They had quite a, a struggle getting through all the procedures because they'd just introduced new testing <laughs> testing procedures in the UK. And uh, there's the lovely Rob, uh, who's headmaster. Oh, yeah. Rob of Simmons. A, yes, absolutely. Headmaster oh, yeah. of a school. Yeah. I've been across yeah. to his school you, in Captain London and done a Jeff. few talks. So <laughs> lovely to see him. The sad thing was probably like you, Jeff, couldn't chat to everybody. I know. It was just, it just yeah. wasn't, wasn't enough time. Uh, absolutely. There's the audience and there's your ugly mugs there in the distance. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, there's Captain Nigel and uh, the boys. A lovely place, um, wasn't it? A great table, um, a great place to be. Uh, there, oh, right in the Stuart. middle is Chris Postal, whose mm -hmm. uh, phone we used. Mm -hmm. And uh, there on the left nice. is yeah. Louis, I think, Louis. who had roared his way from interviews and acceptance uh, procedures with an airline which he is planning to join as cabin crew but hopes eventually to switch to pilot uh, because he is a qualified airline pilot oh but he apparently made his volvo go supersonic uh to get there <laughs> in time uh, there's the boys uh and of course there's adam spink uh, oh, oh he's not I think that's just his profile actually... picture. <laughs> we all he, he has no identity outside board. of the tower. <laughs> just the tower. Absolutely. Just the tower. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, there's um, uh, Al and Pep, and Al is just about to throw up into his mask. Because, uh, <laughs> so unlike he's been Al. Too many chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the after party in that's the fun. Aviator Hotel. So. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. Lovely to see everybody. Uh, and uh, I think that's a, a general shot of the crew who was doing the transmitting. So, uh, Great shot. Uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant fun. Uh, lo lots of hilarity going on amongst us. Um, oh, oh, and you could just see beside my shoulder is the very father Christmassy uh, gentleman um, who, Graham Rude, uh, 
who is the curator of uh, the Fast Museum, who uh, did a fantastic job showing people around and um, did those lovely videos uh, as well for us to advertise. And a fine gentleman uh, he is too, who um, you know did so much with his staff to make it uh, us so welcome there. So brilliant, excellent. Wow. Yeah, just looking at these pictures just uh, kind of you know makes me relive the whole thing, which Absolutely. was wonderful. Yeah, had a great time. It was just like happened too quickly, you know. Didn't have time mm. to talk as much as I wanted to to all the people that intended uh, attended in person. Ah, didn't really have enough, much time to even talk to my fellow crew members. Well, while, while I we don't were think there. we spoke once. I know. Well, actually, maybe <laughs> we were once. sitting next to each other. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, we were still you know on the outs. Yeah, still upset with each other. No, just That's kidding. Story. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Um, Rick, what's Rick been doing? Rick, what you been up to, man? Well, <laughs> clearly we missed missing you. all the, clearly <laughs> missing yeah. all the fun. Yeah, we did. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, no, it's, this is a time of year when uh, we uh, play Santa Claus. And so uh, very, busy, very busy time of the year for us here. And uh, when uh, not flying, uh, we, uh, Kai and I have been uh, volunteering at this uh, uh, dog rescue in uh, Phoenix. So I've been, um, you know, working with uh, Saving Paws Arizona um, with, um, with uh, dogs, trying to find them um, foster homes and uh, get uh, adopted and all that. So, uh uh, we've been doing that. Um, and, uh, but, but I tell you, I mean, it's just really, really, um, you know, bummed out. We didn't get to make it up there. The, the plan was, uh, for, for both the Kai and I to go up there and, uh, spend some time with the crew and, and, um, you know, be a part of all this. But, uh, you know, sadly this job, this job of mine sometimes that, uh, it tends to, it tends to keep me away from, uh, from from some of these events which is uh it's a bit of a shame but um, i'm hoping that uh, as as time goes on and seniority improves uh things will be able to uh to uh, change in that regard um yeah we're hoping yeah. we're hoping to get the um you know like the yearly big meetups going again mm-hmm. hopefully next year and i mean we should probably just plan uh, yeah. like a 525th meetup or something like quarter <laughs> Yeah, well, just whenever you're available. Jeff's like, shut up. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> yeah, let's don't do that. We're, we're, we, I think we decided that we weren't going to do another, you know, big episode uh, extravaganza until like the thousandth. So, I think somebody, I think I Hall Boxes has something about the six hundred. And 600, thinking, yeah. eh, I don't even want to think about that right now. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Well, we've got like two years. So yeah, that's true. That's true. That's yeah, possible. Yeah. Possible. Yeah, like anyway. Years, so, uh, yeah. So how, how's everything? Yeah. You said yeah. the, uh, the, with the dogs and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, uh, that, you know, just, just having a great time with the dogs. And we have, we have, we have three at home ourselves and we just, uh, we just adopted a, a little, well, you guys know about it. Yeah. We adopted a little Belgian Malinois oh, a little yeah, while so ago. So, so she's, uh, she's, uh, you know, um, She's having a great time there at home with the other two dogs, and so um, when um, when we have the time, about two two times a week, we'll go out there and, and, and volunteer at the rescue, and it's it's great because it's um, it's it's out in the it's out in the desert, uh, wide open spaces for all the dogs to run around and, and and do their thing, and it's nice because you you I mean you, you kind of work in shifts, so um, there's a morning, afternoon, evening shift, so the dogs are always being tended to and 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 walked and fed and all that and played with and socialized with, and a lot of these dogs are, you know, just found in the desert. People just kind of like leave them out there to die, and so they're rescued and they're brought in, and uh, and so um, it's it's always nice to go from 
picking up a basically a stray dog and getting them, you know, the kind of love and attention that they need, and then eventually getting them to a to a to a loving home. So so that's 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 really nice. It's it's really you know tugs at your I mean tugs at my heartstrings. I tell you yeah. that. Uh, aside from that, the flying, you know, just uh, busy with the flying as well. Just got in from um, Maui this morning. Um, flew out to uh, Kona and then Maui two days ago. Uh, uneventful flight from here to Kona. And then from the on the Kona to Maui flight, it's a really short, uh, you know, 15-minute wheels up to wheels down flight. Descending into Maui, though, the other night, um, it, we, we got we got lasered pretty bad actually we we're going in um yeah we we're going in uh descending through about twelve thousand feet on the on the base to final because uh, they basically once you take off from kona they give you direct to the initial fix through the ils runway zero two there and it's kind of a dog leg um you know right turn to put you on the final for zero two and descending through about twelve thousand feet i see this bright blue laser and and i told my fo just watch your eyes or there you know they see a laser up ahead so we basically kept our our eyes inside the cockpit the entire time um and whoever this bastard was uh kept doing it until we you know, turned final and the whatever town this person was in kind of you know was was covered by the mountain there um landed uh you know, uneventful landing. It wasn't windy for one, so that was nice. Um, parked, no problem. And and then, and then you know, you had, you had to do the the inform ATC and uh, do the uh, flight crew incident report. And it's a bunch of paperwork involved. And it's you know, it's just it kind of pisses me off because it's it's no, it's it's no game. You know, it's just it's, you can really hurt someone. We pilots rely obviously on our vision, and you can really hurt someone you know, physically and their livelihoods and the safety of the aircraft. So just don't, no, don't, 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 don't do stuff just like don't this. Do exactly. So, um, but yeah. So other than that, uh, layover in Maui was nice, was short. Went over and picked me up. Uh, I showed you guys my jalapeno mouth uh, Ooh, beer. Yeah, I'm going to need to try very that. Very nice, very nice. Really, really good stuff. Waikiki, but it's in Maui? Yeah, Waikiki, Waikiki Brewing Company in Maui. Huh. It's funny because in, in Waikiki, I've, I've I've looked for this place. Is the, have, is the Maui have... Brewing Company in Waikiki in uh, Honolulu? Okay, Maui Maui Brewing Company is right there, which is kind of shooting you guys switch places. They're a little confused. Um, yeah, well, that's why. I don't know. <laughs> so um, did that. Uh, flew back five hours, coming back here to Ontario this morning. Beautiful weather. Nice tailwind coming back. Uh, nicely moonlit night so it was a pretty pretty flight coming in um and then um landed uh first thing in the morning it was great uh apparently uh the controller there was having a little bit of a cu couple issues there with uh, with separation because we were on the down one coming in here and the guy goes um uh maintain 250 knots till uh, further notice and i'm on like, the downwind just, yeah on the downwind because i can see the airport right there it was my fo's leg and he knows what he's doing but I figured uh, it's going to be interesting. But I just, you know, just let him do what he let him let him do because that, that's how you learn. You know? Okay, so, you got it, buddy. Set him up for a fail. <laughs> <laughs> now so, set the controller up for a fail on this one. <laughs> so uh, he's, he he kept us a little high on the profile, which we're still at two fifty. So I um, I was I was waiting for I was waiting for him to to kind of you know. So I told him, I'll tell you what, tell you what, slow down to two forty, and I'll tell you why on the ground. 
And so he did. He brought it back to 240. And so once the controller broke us off, the approach gave us the turn of, to, to Bayes and then final. As soon as he gave us the turn and he, and, and he authorized his descent, I told him, just go for flaps one, started configuring flaps one, and then basically configured on the placard speed coming all the way down. Um, and after we landed, I, uh, I type, I mean, he, he did a, he did a good job. He's been, he's been with us for a couple of years. He did a good job ma- managing the air, uh, the, uh, the energy of the airplane. Um, we were stabilized by a thousand feet, no problem. And uh, I told him, um, when you see, when you find yourself in this, in these kinds of positions here, when an ATC t- uh, tries to keep you fast, especially when they request 250 so close to the airport, go to 240 because 250 is a placard speed for, for flaps one. Mm. But 240, you can go to flaps one, and you're only 10 knots away from being able to extend to flaps five. And flaps five dirties the wing quite a bit, and so that slows, slows you, down you down quickly. Faster. And so he, uh, he he hadn't heard, he hadn't, uh, you know, uh, nobody's ever, you know, taught him or told him about that 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 mode of managing the airspeed uh, with uh, the energy of the airplane with flap and speed brake. So uh, he he did great. He did yeah, great. yeah the controllers aren't going to be able to tell the difference between 240 10 and 240. It's plus yeah. 10 minus 10. So, yeah. uh, so yeah. we're, yeah, we, we're you know, what we call that, uh, Rick, when, uh, when you're in that situation, auto flaps, yeah. <laughs> auto flaps. Yeah. So the other, the person monitoring just as soon as I'm slow enough, just put out the next set of, yeah. you know, yeah. okay, auto flaps. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Right. It works out well. Good teamwork. Yeah. yeah it worked, worked out fine. No, no problem. Yeah. So that, that was it. That, that, that was my day. Awesome. Good day. Yeah. So uh, no de-icing or anything, huh? No, no, not, not a, no uh, de-icing in Maui. Uh, no de-icing in Maui. No, no, none right. of that. Uh, and uh, it was it was it was actually kind of nice too because we uh, we took off before the tower closed, so we didn't have to do the uh, the uh, I know the, the old the, position the, the, reports everywhere yeah. you are on the yeah the, uh, the GA nice. thing and having to uh, yeah. take off and uh, click the runways uh, runway lights on yeah. yourself and all that just an so, added uh, that complication. I don't even know how not to do that anymore. <laughs> What's this control tower thing you speak of? Yeah. <laughs> it's nice when you get used to it, Steph. You should try it. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe someday. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Steph, uh, speaking of, uh, have you been doing any flying lately? I did a little bit. Um, so this past weekend, Sunday or Saturday was not a good day for, for the type of flying operations I do. It was... Um, very cloudy in the morning, very windy during the day, and then it rained a bunch in the evening. Uh, we had a big front come through, and it was very warm, um, crazy warm, like mid seventies um, Fahrenheit, which is, you know, even for here in the south, that's that's a bit on the warm side for December. Um, but it was great because I was in the process of helping my dad move. Um, there's a whole long story behind all of that, and it actually involves dogs as well. Um, he. Um, Due to a, a bit of a family tragedy, he now is um, caregiver for three more dogs. Um, so I've got my two, he's got his three, and um, we've got fortunately separate um, um, living spaces at this point. So it all worked out kind of beautifully in the end. But um, like Rick was mentioning, three three rescue dogs. One's a lab, one's a Bernie's mountain dog and husky mix, and the other one is a Shih Tzu, and um, they're all a little bit on the the older side, so not much too much energy. Out of a mix, <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. mountain dog and a Shih Tzu, not together in hey, one. Let's watch our they're two separate dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so, family show, yeah, yeah family yeah. show. But three three wonderful dogs, and um, because of that um, bit of you know family tragedy that I mentioned, he's been kind of back and forth out of town. So I've been um, charged with taking care of the dogs and his new place is about a mile and a half away from me. So not too far away, but um, you know, a couple extra hours out of the day, just 
back and forth between the two places and making sure the dogs are fed and watered and out for walks and doing their business and have enough attention. And, um, it's good. It's good. It just adds a lot of, a lot of extra time to the day. And speaking of dogs, one of my dogs is trying to break into my studio right now. Trim it. Oh, no. Back off, buddy. Oh, trim it. Man, he's got, uh, yeah, we're going to work on his yep. separation anxiety <laughs> issues. Um, he's a wonderful dog, but yes, it's a thing. So yeah, so that was, it was actually a good day for moving because it was warm. So we didn't have to like bundle up in snow gear or anything to to do all of that and got everything done before the rain moved in. Um, had some good help from, from local friends. Um, and Sunday, better day for flying. Um, I woke up kind of feeling a little under the weather and it resolved. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go down and, and hang out and see. And, um, not super busy for jumper dumper operations in December. So um, generally I'm not the the main pilot there. There's two of us. And sometimes if we're really busy, we'll fly two aircraft. Um, so it wasn't that busy, but they were, they were short on tandem instructors and the other, uh, the other pilot is also a tandem instructor. So to help kind of speed things up at the end of the day and get, get everyone finished before the sunset. Um, he ended up doing some jumps and I ended up flying. So I flew a couple loads, um, towards the end of the day and felt great the rest of the day. Um, no problems, hung out for a while afterwards with, with, uh, some of the folks from the drop zone and just caught up and, you know, that's, that's part of the, the camaraderie and community of being there. And, um, Went home, woke up the next morning, and felt horrible. Like, just not good at all. Um, definitely had had post-nasal drip during the night, so my throat was all scratchy and irritated. And um, just kind of general malaise, kind of chills the whole time, no fever. Um, and that had kind of been the case the day before, but it got better. So I was like, well, I'm going to work, see what happens. Got to work, definitely no better. So I ended up canceling my uh, my clinic for the day, went home, did take a COVID test that was negative, um, thankfully. And um, turns out a bunch of people at work had had something similar, just kind of an upper respiratory, um, non, uh, not specific um, post-nasal drip, just not feeling kind of great thing. And everyone had tested negative for COVID. Um, so came home, kind of went back to bed for a couple hours because I'd been kind of busy and <laughs> sleep deprived as well. And when I woke up, was feeling great and I've been been fine since. So I'm not sure what that was about, just kind of a random upper respiratory viral viral illness. And, the creeping uh, crud, I think. Creeping probably. crud a little bit. Yeah. yeah, not not great. So glad that it wasn't anything more serious and glad to um, be feeling better. So hopefully we'll get one more day of um, jumper dumping uh, for the season this Saturday if the weather cooperates. It looks like it might rain. And then um, we take a little bit of a uh, hiatus for a few weeks. So just because the weather's the weather has historically been kind of crap, and there's not a lot of customers. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Glad it wasn't anything serious. Yeah, nothing serious. But man, I did not feel good on Monday morning. I was, I was ugh, not great. Yeah. Yeah, well, glad you're feeling better. Yeah. All right. Well. I think now we can talk a little bit about our coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. 
Thank you, Jeff Smith, for our APG Java Jive. This is the segment where we talk about our wonderful financial contributors using the Coffee Fund. And uh, we a special shout-out this week to those who, in addition to the uh, recurring donators using the Coffee Fund Classic Method, we had several that gave us special, very generous donations to help us offset some of the costs of doing the 500 episode. And those people are Alan Carlson, Doran De Silva, Till Opatz, Ludger Humpert, Daniel Seaman, Jen Niffer, Tim Yancey, Mark Anderson, Harris Bergman, Vernon Tryon, Elizabeth Piper, you ever heard of her? And Mazutz Karim. Thank you, all of you, for your extra special donations uh, to help us celebrate the 500. Uh, much appreciated. And uh, the other way to participate in the Coffee Fund is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we have a new producer, Rich Perry. So congratulations on uh, becoming a patron of the show via Patreon. If you, dear listener, want to help out in a financial way, please learn more about the Coffee Fund by heading over to AirlinePilotGuide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will, too. Jeff, I'm just wondering, do you want to go right to the plane tail now and then do the rest of the 500s? Because we've done a lot of 500 stuff. The control room is speaking. The control room is speaking, and I'm not having a stroke. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted anyone who was uh, not sure what was happening there to... uh, Yes, Liz is communicating with me, uh, suggesting our director. She's in our director role right now. She is uh, directing me to perhaps consider doing the plane tail. At this point, uh, because we've been talking a lot about the 500 and basically the uh, the feedback uh, portion of our show today is going to be more congratulatory feedback uh, regarding the 500th episode. So, yeah, I think that'd be a great way to break it up, Liz. So why don't we do this week's installment of the old pilot's plane tail or plane tails? And this week's installment is entitled flying over Christmas. So take it away, old pilot. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, Flying Over Christmas. Waiting for the arrival of those December flying rosters was always a tense time. Those with big family gatherings, always anxious to ensure they're at home with their loved ones, whilst the more carefree crew with fewer ties might want to be down route somewhere exotic, knowing that a bevy of party-goers would be flying with them. Christmas has always been a time of celebration, even before Christians associated it with the birth of Jesus. In Neolithic times, those who built Stonehenge would wait for the arrival of the midwinter solstice, a few days before our Christmas, when the sun would have originally set between the two uprights of the tallest trilithon at the head of the Sarsen horseshoe, and dropped onto the altar stone, placed across the solstice axis. This would be marked by great feasts, with animals driven hundreds of miles to provide the vast quantities of pork, beef, fermented milk and cheese they wanted. Much barley beer would be consumed from decorated mugs, much like the 500th APG show. 
The Romans were also prone to having a good time with five days of feasting, called the Saturnalia, when the normal rules of society were turned around so that slaves were served at table by their masters and soldiers by their officers. A tradition that survives in some military forces to this very day. The everyday diet would be spiced up with figs, dates, pine nuts, snails and fattened dormice. Medieval Britain saw a full 12 days of celebration, which reached a crescendo on the 12th night, when presents were exchanged. These celebrations commemorated Christ's birth, and the name Christmas, Christ's Mass, is first recorded in England in 1038. It was a mishmash of traditions that came from the Roman Saturnalia, and the midwinter feast of Yule, which included keeping the Yule log burning throughout the season. Houses were decorated with evergreens and rich food washed down with mulled braggot, an extra strong ale spiced with honey and cinnamon and spiked with brandy. Rough games would be played, the tamest of which was hot cockles, where blindfolded victims had to guess who'd slapped them from behind. If the guess was right, the slapper became the slappy. Many scholars think it's a mistake to claim that our modern Christmas comes directly from pre-Christian paganism, and neither is Christmas a modern creation. Early Christians had an interest in pagan traditions, but there was little attention given to celebrating birthdays, and the Bible has no reference to when Jesus was born. It wasn't until the 4th century that church leaders in Rome embraced the holiday, and partly as Nizambam believed, because people had turned away from thinking of Jesus as a man. Celebrating his birth became a way to remember him starting life as a humble human. It was the Victorians who began many of the traditions we now associate with Christmas. Prince Albert bought the idea of a Christmas tree from his native Germany, and when the royal family began giving gifts on Christmas Day, everyone did. The Victorian period gave birth to Christmas cards, crackers, eating turkey instead of goose, and Christmas pudding. Santa Claus, Father Christmas, St. Nicholas, Kris Kringle, etc. were popularized in the United States, but can be traced back to a 4th century Greek Christian bishop of Myra, now part of Turkey. St. Nicholas was famous for giving gifts to the poor. Father Christmas dates to the 16th century, when, during the reign of Henry VIII, he was depicted as a large man in a green or scarlet robe lined with fur. So if you think it was Coca-Cola's idea, you'd be sadly mistaken. In Europe, he might be known as Sinterklaas, de Kerstmann, Belsnickel, or Pierre Noel, to name just a few. With publicists like Clement Clark Moore, who wrote the poem that became Twas the Night Before Christmas, the stories of Charles Dickens and the cartoons of Thomas Nast, our modern vision of Christmas has as much to do with the promotions of department stores and shopping malls and the popularity of movies like Miracle on 34th Street as anything else. 
The idea of Santa and his sleigh propelled by flying reindeer probably originates with the aforementioned poem by Clement Moore. But in the past, he rode a horse, or in his original Norse and Germanic persona, as the god Thor, was pulled by flying goats. I began this tale by thinking back to the arrival of the Christmas flying roster. But I know of one crew who flew over Christmas with great excitement. At least I believe so. Their names were Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders, the crew of the Apollo 8 space mission. Apollo 8 was the most groundbreaking mission that NASA flew, excepting the first landing on the surface of the moon, of course. It was quite early on that the decision was made to achieve a moon landing with a specialised spacecraft, which gave Apollo three primary components. The command module was the tin can on top, Underneath was the service module, providing the command module with propulsion, electrical power, oxygen and water, etc. And finally, a two-part lunar module, which would affect the landing. There would be three uncrewed launches of the Saturn rocket into Earth orbit, which would test the launch vehicle and in stages the various modules that would be used. This was due to be followed by four crewed missions. Apollo 7, 8 and 9 would conduct tests in various Earth orbits before a crew would be sent to orbit the Moon in Apollo 10. This would be followed in turn by the first attempt at a landing. Then there followed the tragedy of what has now been named Apollo 1 when a fire during a launch pad test killed Gus Grissom, Ed White and Roger Chaffee. Flights were delayed by 20 months while NASA addressed the failings that had led to the disaster. Even with a collection of the world's most capable pilots and engineers, things were bound to go a little wrong at times, and when the missions returned, it was a tense time. Apollo 7 launched and was a complete success. There was, however, time to be made up, and when the Apollo 8's lunar module arrived at Kennedy Space Center, it had over a hundred significant faults. It was never going to be ready on time, and that was a problem. Following the original seven-step plan was no longer an option, but since the next command and service modules were only three months away, it was proposed that the intermediate missions be cancelled, and Apollo 8 only the second crewed mission, be sent to orbit the moon. It was a vital and difficult decision, but almost every senior NASA manager agreed it could be done. Eventually, James Webb, the NASA administrator, agreed. The change of mission required a change of crew and ultimately a swap of spacecraft. When the dust had settled, Frank Borman was the commander, James Lovell, the replacement for Michael Collins who damaged his back as command module pilot, and William Anders, the lunar module pilot, even though their lunar module was a boilerplate dummy. The pressure the team were under was immense. Russia had already flown some tortoises in a loop around the moon, Surely they were now preparing to send cosmonauts on a similar mission, and the Apollo crew had only 16 weeks to prepare for the launch, 
two or three months less time than normal. They now had a completely different set of mission objectives, and they were going to be the first to launch on the Saturn V rocket. However, in typical astronaut fashion, they buckled down to make sure their mission was a success. The task ahead of them was substantial. They were going to be the first to attempt to fly a crewed spacecraft out of low Earth orbit, and then the first to navigate outer space to reach another astronomical object, and then insert themselves into orbit around it. By December the 18th, Three days before launch, testing was completed, particularly on the modifications to cure the pogo oscillations, ruptured fuel lines and multiple engine failures that had plagued earlier Saturn rockets. The crew wanted to name the spacecraft, but since Gus Grissom had called his Gemini capsule Molly Brown, NASA refused. Had they relented, it would have been called Columbiad, after the name Jules Verne gave his giant cannon in the novel From the Earth to the Moon. On December the 21st, Apollo 8 launched. On reaching Earth orbit, the third stage remained in place to give them the translunar injection burn that would send them out into the void towards their distant target. It was a tense moment, the last time this had been attempted was on an unmanned mission, and the rocket had failed to ignite. Two hours, 27 minutes and 22 seconds after launch, they were given go for TLI burn. The engine ignited perfectly, and over the next five minutes, they accelerated from 7,600 to 10,800 metres per second, about 24,000 200 miles an hour. As the Earth fell away behind them, they jettisoned the third stage and swung the command service module around to view their planet. They looked back on the entirety of the Earth, the first humans ever to do so. Many firsts would be achieved by Apollo 8, as this was truly a voyage of discovery. As they became the first to cross the Van Allen radiation belts, they now became human guinea pigs, wearing radiation dosimeters to measure the cumulative radiation that they would receive during their long journey. In the case of navigation failures, Lovell took star shots through a sextant built into the spacecraft, like mariners had centuries before. But apart from short course correction burns, there wasn't much to do except routine checks and to try to sleep. They gave a short TV broadcast and tried to show people of the Earth what their planet looked like, but sadly it was just a bright blob in the window. Then Borman began to feel unwell. He vomited twice and had a bout of diarrhoea, which left the spacecraft full of small globules of vomit and faeces. They cleaned up as best they could, but it wasn't a long-term problem. We now know that he had suffered from space adaption syndrome, which affects about a third of all astronauts and is a form of motion sickness. After 55 hours, another invisible first passed them, 
when they left the influence of Earth's gravity as the Moon's gravitational force became stronger. Then it came time to slow, so that they would reduce the distance they would pass the Moon down to 71.7 miles. Their single engine burned for exactly 11 seconds, and as the Moon began to fill their windows, they contemplated their next burn for lunar orbit insertion, which would occur behind the Moon. With the call of See You on the Other Side, they achieved another first as their radio went silent. The crew checked and double-checked every switch, and then, 69 hours, 8 minutes and 16 seconds into the mission, they began a 4-minute, 7-second burn that would trap them in the gravitational pull of the moon. Mission control waited. If the burn was too short, they would appear early, too long and they would be late. Right on time, the radio blackout ended, and they listened as Lovell described the surface beneath them. Grey beach sand, not much contrast, terraced crater walls and the like. The crew had cameras to record the surface for future landings, and by the end of the mission, they had taken over 800 high-definition stills and 700 feet of 16mm cine camera film. When the Apollo spacecraft came out from behind the moon for the fourth time, the crew got to see their first Earth rise. Anders spotted it first and called to the rest as they scrambled to get a view. He quickly changed to a colour film and then took a stunning photograph, acclaimed by Time magazine as one of its hundred photos of the century. They'd hardly slept for three days and were suffering, so Borman ordered everyone to take a turn at sleeping. Cameras were set on automatic, and they took turns to close their eyes. It was Christmas Eve, and they had rounded the moon for the ninth time, when it came time for another transmission, for the eager audience back on Earth. They each gave their impressions of this desolate place, with Borman describing it as a vast, lonely, forbidding expanse of nothing. Talking to a quarter of the world's population, 1,200 journalists who were covering the mission live, with the BBC's coverage alone reaching 54 countries in 15 different languages, they gave their parting message, a Bible reading from the book of Genesis a controversial decision that would not be allowed on future missions, but it was done with the expectation that it would resonate with as many people as possible, that it wouldn't just be a message for Christians on Christmas Eve. We are now approaching lunar sunrise, and for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, 
Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together under one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called the seas, and God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Their work done, it was time to return home. This involved another burn started behind the moon out of contact with Capcom. When telemetry restarted as they emerged from the far side, Lovell announced that there really was a Santa Claus, to which Ken Mattingly replied that they were the best ones to know. It was Christmas Day and they were on their way home. They opened their food locker to find that Dick Slayton had included a real turkey dinner with stuffing, the same pack that was given to the troops in Vietnam, and three miniature bottles of brandy, which Borman immediately ordered would remain unopened until after they'd landed. Their recovery back to Earth was textbook, and apart from 45 minutes upside down in the Pacific Ocean, while suffering from a 10-foot swell, uneventful. The success of this mission that had leapfrogged the Apollo program back into the race for the moon was unrivaled and has been confidently described as the most historically significant of all the Apollo missions. So as you tuck into your Christmas turkey, spare a thought for those brave Americans who ate theirs so far from home. Merry Christmas, everybody. And Merry Christmas to you. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, John. What, what an amazing thing that must have been to be the very first humans to effectively leave the surrounds of our planet and go out to, you know, such a vast distance uh, and then look back on the Earth and the first time ever to see the world, you know, as only they could see it. And no wonder so many of them came back deeply affected by the experience. I mean, how could you not be so deeply affected by that? I mean, Absolutely. that's just amazing. Yeah. I, I love I love the story of Apollo. I hope I'm not an expert. I hope I got it right. I know there are some people who know all the ins and outs, but uh, – for me, it was just a lovely little voyage of discovery because I didn't know a lot about the Apollo 8 mission. I didn't understand its significance. I certainly do now. Brilliant. Yeah. That gave me That's goosebumps. Gorgeous. 
I love yeah. the uh, I love the mission patch. Uh, I think the mission patch is for for the Apollo Eight. Absolutely is, brilliant! Is, is, Whoever is, designed that, which oh, is fantastic! I, I, I believe it was Jim Lovell in the back of a T thirty eight when they were doing a, um, a a transit flight from. I don't. They're going to Houston. I forget where from. I I read the book. It's called uh, Rocket Men, and it um, it's a really interesting book um that uh details uh not only the apollo 8 mission but the careers of uh all three astronauts you know anders level and um borman and it's uh and it intertwines the early years of their uh, military careers and their involvement with nasa with the apollo mission itself and it does such a great job with um, telling the story not linearly, but going back to the early days. So it's just it's brilliantly written, um, and the um, just the patch, just, just the simplicity of it, and the and how the eight is incorporated into it, and the, the orbit around the moon, around the Earth is just brilliant. I love it. And then yeah, you know we all know Frank clever. Borman. Uh, he uh, went on to uh, lead uh, Eastern Airlines wow. later on down the road. So. Uh, very brilliant man. Something I didn't mention, but uh, you know, they were basically told that they believed their mission might only have a 50% chance of success. And considering it came back with a measure of success around 98%, you've just got to take your hat off to those guys and all the people mm -hmm. that put them there. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's a huge amount of risk with uncertain reward. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I love it. And yeah. a lovely Christmas story. So oh, yeah. So let me tell that one. The Earthrise is a, it's an iconic picture of the – one of the most iconic pictures ever taken. I think so. Wow. I think so. Not about top 100. For me, it's it's just one of the most unbelievable achievements of mankind. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know really how you could possibly top that except – Maybe this congratulatory feedback from Ginky Farkenwithel. <laughs> Hi, y'all. This is Ginky Farkenwithel from Petula, Oklahoma. I fly the right seat for Oki Air, and we're flying over Atoka, Oklahoma right now. It's beautiful out there. Look at those blue skies and white clouds. I want to congratulate you guys on 500 shows. That's amazing. That's over 1,500 hours of content. Or if you include the pre- and post-show shenanigans, that's over a million hours. <laughs> I want to thank you guys. I'm yep. hoisting a bottle of ice-cold chocolate Yoo-Hoo in your honor right now. You are chocolate truly you, appreciated. Yeah. That's good out. stuff. <laughs> thank you. Who doesn't love chocolate <laughs> Yoo-Hoo? That like, takes me back to like... Seventh grade or something. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. you. Who? <laughs> Thank you, Ginky. Also known as Texas Charlie. Thank you very much, sir, for that. Uh, let's see. We received this uh, from Vernon. He gave us a. He was one of our special financial contributors. I've been mm. planning for years to be there with you to celebrate ABG 500, but alas, my wife is having surgery next week, and we won't be able to. Uh, we won't be going any place soon. At any rate, I just sent in a small donation to help you buy a few beers and have as much fun as you can without me, which will be a lot, I'm sure. Enjoy the gathering and <laughs> blessings to you all, Vernon. Retired. I hope that all went well, Vernon. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Please send us some more feedback and tell us everything us was know. okay. Yeah, 
And uh, he did send us a couple of pictures in this feedback. Uh, there you go. There's uh, uh, Vernon and his lovely wife, and uh, they're they're holding up something that I believe you had something to do with, uh, Nick. Well, yeah, that's my scribble on the bottom there. Yeah, I thought I recognized wow, that, that. That was uh, that was a lovely meetup we managed to effect. Um, they come across to the United Kingdom, visited friends, and they were down south. And I, I could get down and uh, purely, you know, on the off chance, they uh, let me know. And we, we met up in a lovely pub, the Bluebell Pub, uh, I think. Uh, and um, we sat down, had a pint of beer. And I noticed that I think they were placemats or something. They were, had a promotion for a, a local beer uh, called Gustav, which was... Um, uh, named after an amazing pigeon who had won the Dickens medal, ah, uh, a medal in the United Kingdom for bravery of animals, and uh, it had brought back the first news of the successful landings uh, on the beaches on D-Day, and um, I, I did, that led me to, you know, think of doing the um, plain tale about carrier pigeons mm -hmm. which um, I, I always enjoyed I think it was a fantastic play tale I really liked that one uh, and uh, dear <laughs> Vernon and Ruth uh, hung on to that and took it home and uh, and uh, framed it beautifully yeah. so uh, great memory for me and obviously uh, a nice one for him too yeah that's awesome well thank you Vernon for your contribution sorry that we didn't see you in Atlanta but completely understand you know you have priorities in your life and i hope that your wife is recovering well all right um, um jeff that oh, hang on. that uh, plane that plane tail is the fearless flying oh i can't say it, but it was um, a <laughs> apg 343 apg 343 the fearless what Flying Columba flying, Livia uh, Domestica. Domestica. Columbia, Domesticus, Domestica, Columbia, something yeah. or other. Okay, yeah. Well, Col yeah. Columba Livia Carrier Domestica. <laughs> Columbia, Columbo Livia Domestica. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Well, thank you, Liz, for digging that up. 343. 343. Just uh, go to 343, do a search on the uh, page, and you'll see it. All right. Thank you. Um Dave Willis sent this in. He said, uh, I have a question for the crew. Uh, what's your favorite memory of the last 500 shows? Thanks for a great show and for connecting so many like-minded people with each other. Uh, Steph, what's your favorite uh, memory of the two. last 500? Shimmy two. Damper. Um, they're not really shows per se, but yeah. I'd say the first is the time that you and Rick and I um, all met in person together for the first time yeah. up at the <laughs> um, um, Uberhazi Inno Innovation Dulles. in Flight. Yeah. Innovation in Flight, is that what it was called? Yeah. Uh -huh. At Uberhazi. Yeah. yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah that was, and then, that was you know, not too much longer later, um, episode 200. Just mm -hmm. not much will top. All That's of my, that. same, yeah. my same two. My same <laughs> two right there. I, it was the same two. And uh, <laughs> at episode 200, I remember when, um, well, just before that, um, when we uh, snuck uh, Nick in across the pond without telling Jeff, and we were trying so hard to make sure Jeff yes. would be in my. We were doing like a terrible job of it. Too. I like, know it's like okay, I, I'll, I told you I'll be there. I'll would be you quit there. nagging like, me? <laughs> oh, man, the weirdest was, thing uh, though was that 
Nick, I mean, Rick was so uh, like he, he picked me up from the airport. <laughs> this is back in what 2016, 15, I think, 15. January 2016. No, 16, yeah, it was yeah. 2016. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he and he and he goes, "Hey, Jeff, are you hungry?" And I said, "No." And and he goes, "Okay." And then we <laughs> he pulls into this going to ribs. this rib joint. And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Did you?" Did I'm just you, gonna get a small snack. Did you like not hear? What I, I said, "I'm not right. hungry." <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, I am. We're gonna have some. I'm gonna have some ribs." <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought something's weird going on here. I don't know. Anyway. I stalling because I wasn't arriving for like three more hours or something crazy. I had like, to figure yeah. something out. I had to, have, you know, I had to think on my feet here. Yeah, he was definitely not acting normal. That's for sure. Yeah, but it was, oh, it was I love fun. It. I love it. Anyway, yeah. Okay, what about you, Nick? What's your, uh, what's your favorite memory of the oh, last Oh, my one? abiding memory uh, is us on our road trip up towards Oshkosh. And visiting uh, the, the United States Air Force Museum at Dayton. Mm, yes. We had a great bunch of people with me, and it was a museum um, I had heard about, and I had talked about some of the exhibits there in so many plain tales. To actually stand in that vast place and look at those fantastic historic aircraft, um, for me, was just, you know, it transported me uh, into so much of aviation history i found it incredibly moving and you know really inspiring uh and it really was the most wonderful day uh, i really enjoyed that that was fantastic and for me uh you know we covered several of my favorite memories uh during our favorite video clips and stuff uh, for the 500th episode you know steph's first time on the show rick's first time on the show uh, the 200th episode, and uh, honestly, that that road trip that we did, Nick, was just awesome. I, I'll I'll never forget, even just uh, just the two of us just driving in my car, heading up I-75, and just having a, a great old time. Um, you know, stopping at several different places for something to eat, and stopping at the uh, big ass fan company, and meeting up with Greg Peterson in real life for the first time, and getting a nice tour. I think it was the first time. Maybe we met before that, but anyway, and, and then that great time at uh, in Dayton. Uh, just uh, so many, too many memories, really, to uh, to just you know whittle it down to one or two it just uh, been a great run and you know what's just the beginning we're uh, we're going to continue to create new memories and uh, i look forward to that absolutely all right um let's see let me go back over here and we have some audio feedback from sweden i believe well, hello there, APG crew. This is Gustav from Sweden calling in to say uh, thank you and congratulations on uh, 500 episodes. I started listening uh, back in the 200s, about five or six years ago. And uh, I have such a strong memory of the first time I put the, put the show on. And I thought that this cannot be true. It simply cannot be true that people are actually talking about airplanes for three hours. It cannot be true. <laughs> Who are these people? They must be insane. Awesome. Yeah. And I remember that I fast forwarded about half an episode just to, to ensure that there wasn't all commercials or something like that. But then, then I realized I that um, not only were you people very sane, you were also very smart and very funny. And I'm so grateful for everything you do. Life, as you all know, can be up and down. But no matter what, for these five or six years, you've always been there. 
my constant companion in my ears and i'm so grateful for it and uh, i hope that i will have another 500 episodes at least to listen to in the future and uh, i really hope that you enjoy the celebrations wherever you are just please don't remember not to fly an airplane too early tomorrow morning <laughs> anywho <laughs> take care and have a good day oh gustav you ma- you're making me tear up um and I just want to say to you, Med Van Liga Helsingarg. Nailed it. Perfect. Nailed it. I have no idea what that means, but he signed off by in his, uh, his feedback to us. I think us. it's something rude. Oh, it's something rude? I'm sorry. I apologize. If hey, that's, that's, your old, that's your old neighborhood. You should know about all that stuff. No, that's uh, Denmark and Norway, huh. not Sweden. Not Denmark. Uh, it's okay. Swedish people. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> Uh, Gustav, really, uh, so uh, so nice to hear from you, and it just kind of uh, highlights the fact that our community is not just here in the U.S. or the U.K. It's all over the world, and uh, that's just so humbling, uh, and so so happy to hear that uh, you enjoyed listening to a show where we talk about aviation for three hours. I know my early on, my wife asked me, my ex-wife, I guess. Uh, so, are you still doing that? podcast thing i said yeah she goes so so let me get this straight you talk about aviation for three hours every week and she and people listen to that i said yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then she just rolled her eyes and walked away (laughs) and the rest is history history. thanks (laughs) i I should have seen the writing on the wall (laughs) i'm sorry go ahead uh, steph well, no, while you were talking about all of that, I was actually doing a quick Google Translate uh, for the, the sign-off that you yeah. So it's very important. You must put the diacritics and the, the umlauts over the A's uh-huh. in, in there. Um, if you don't, it says um, something like, with great necklines. <laughs> That's not what that means at all. Um, but once you put in the, the you know, the correct, um, all the yeah. correct. Uh, Emphasis? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just says sincerely. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Well. Thank you, Gustav. That I kind of liked with great necklines. With but, great yeah. necklines to you. <laughs> That's yeah, our new sign off. Great necklines. <laughs> I'll have to remember that for the sign off today. <sighs> All right. Well, anyway, that, as I said, you made me tear up a little bit there. Thank you. Um, speaking of tearing yeah, up, my trousers are wet. Oh, sorry, with 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 regular necklines. <laughs> with regular, not great, regular necklines. Yes. Okay, uh, Jen Niffer. Uh, she is the, uh, uh, the blogger, uh, tales from the terminal. Is that right? Tales from the terminal. Tales from the terminal yep. yeah. mm-hmm. And, uh, she is also, a, a, a an amazing, uh, APG community member for like, as long as I can remember. Forever. She said, Jeff and crew sending best wishes for the 500th episode. Congratulations. I sent a coffee fund donation to help with the celebration expenses. Have a beer on me. Thank you, Jenna. I think I had a couple actually. So, Me too. Yep. Good job. And the rest of us. Yeah. Yep. In fact, uh, yeah, Steph and I enjoyed a, a celebration ale. So that, yeah, who knows? Maybe that was from your nice contribution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you. And these next five guys and gals sent them in as we were broadcasting. Okay. So- Liz says these next five that we're going to do, they sent these things in while we were doing the 500th episode broadcast. Uh, so obviously we like weren't. Plan ahead next time. Yeah, guys. she said. Liz is saying, "Plan ahead next time, guys." Okay. 
let's see. This is uh, <laughs> David Lieb. And he uh, says, just trying to sneak in some quick feedback. <laughs> uh, too late. It's just under three minutes. 11th hour, I know. I meant to send this yesterday. Hope and make it into the show. Regardless, congrats on 500. Well, David, you didn't make it into the 500th, but you did make it into the 501. And so we're going to play your audio feedback now. Greetings, APG crew. Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Miami Rick, Dr. Steph, and of course the wonderful Miss Liz. This is David Lieb coming at you guys from the greater Boston, Massachusetts area. And I just want to say congratulations on 500 episodes. I am so excited for today's APG 500. Yes, today is the day. I really hope this feedback makes it in here at the literally 11th hour. And I am wanting to share some other feedback in response to something from a previous episode, but that's a bit of a long story, so I will send that in separately for a future episode. So, stopping by real quick, let you guys know I really wish I could have been there in Atlanta today, uh, but unfortunately my schedule did not permit that, uh, but that's a good thing. been very busy with the music stuff, um, a myriad of shows, gigs, and recording sessions, projects and yeah Jeff since I saw you back in April things have been really really busy and that is a good thing but I did fall a little behind on APG and I had to quickly catch up the last several weeks and uh, finally I'm up to 499 and gonna finish that just in time to be in the live chat for 500 so got my APG 500 shirt got my APG 500 pint glass that will be filled with a delicious beverage, uh, likely involving the letters India, Papa, Alpha, and that's it. I can't wait for today's show, and if this did not make it into today's show, then I just want to say, hey, that was a great show. It was, <laughs> it was the best APG ever. <laughs> and I can't believe we're past 500. <laughs> Seriously, I've been a listener since 312. <laughs> this is my first feedback. That's over three and a half years. Been listening to APG. And shame on me for not sending stuff like this in sooner. But that will change. All right, everyone. Have a great show. Blue skies, tailwinds, many IPAs or beverage of your choice, and I'll see y'all soon. I've met up with David in Memphis, Tennessee, and in Providence, Providence. Rhode Island, and maybe more places. But anyways, he's a great guy, and thank you, David. And he's also a longtime patron of our show, so thank you for that as well. Oh, excellent. And sorry that uh, you didn't make it uh, into the 500th episode, but this is kind of 500 part two, I think. So um, 500.5. Yeah, 500.5. Okay. Um, Yeah, thanks for the uh, very nice audio feedback. And let's continue on with... This, oh, Gary sent this in, and it was just, it's not audio feedback. Many congratulations on your 500th episode, Gary Cunahan. And uh, he sent that from his iPad. Thank you, Gary. 
<laughs> I like point it. to tell us that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I thought that was important. Yeah, he included it. other people who sent them from their iPad. I, mean, I like it, like it when they've changed it slightly and it says um, <laughs> iPad iTypo or iPhone iTypo or something along yeah. those lines. That's always cutesy. Well, I mean, obviously he thought it was important to include that in the, uh, in the feedback. <laughs> and, so. it, and it was. And yeah, it was. I think so. Yeah. It added an extra show. dimension to your Absolutely. congratulations. Gravitas to the message. You change it to <laughs> EFB. <laughs> Gravitas. Yes, that's this what we show? have. No, yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Liz. All right. Uh, Blast, <laughs> Blaster Bill, who uh, lived in Los Angeles uh, for, for many, many years, apparently is now living in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. And he flies for uh, an airline in America. And you might even mm. call it American Airlines. Uh, congratulations on podcast number 500. I only joined around 220 or so, but what an incredible run. I'm amazed you all have the time to construct such an entertaining podcast for so many listeners and fans. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Your dedication and stamina ooh, to produce so many podcasts is very admirable. Yes, it is. Enjoy your event at the Atlanta Airport Renaissance Concourse, and I'll be drinking a pint in, pint in your honor. Uh, cheers, Blaster Bill, uh, now living in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. He's a 737 oh, captain. Thank you, Blaster. Thank you. Um, more audio feedback. Um, this is from someone that has... You've heard, dear listener, many, many times in the past, and he calls himself uh, on the APG, he calls himself Pasin, uh, Pasadena Brian. And uh, let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Captain Jeff and crew. This is Pasadena Brian wishing you a great 500th show. Although I'm a few episodes behind, I've been listening to the show and providing occasional feedback since the Catholic pilot days. So does that mean I have CP syndrome along with APG syndrome? I don't know. Regardless, there's just <laughs> not a cure. No. As a quick aside, I'm so far behind listening to your show, currently on 491. Our main man, Micah, had to tell me when the 500th show celebration was going to be. Therefore, with his help, I'm able to wish you all the best. It really has been great flying along with you all these years and listening to the show grow, not only in content, but also with great co-hosts. Having worked with the Airplane Geeks podcast for many years, I know all about the work involved in making a weekly podcast. It's a tremendous amount of work, and your three-hour-plus show certainly involves a lot of time. Thank goodness I'm able to listen to you guys at 2x speed, except for the plain tales. Those I listen to at normal speed so I can enjoy every spoken word from Captain Nick. Nick, your segments are truly remarkable. Anyway, I wish I was there and able to partake in the festivities with you guys, However, COVID has most certainly restricted my travel plans these past few years. I'm doing my part to stay safe as often as I can. Hopefully things will improve. Until then, have a great show, say hello to everyone for me, and remember to wash your hands, wear a mask, stay socially distant whenever possible, and get vaccinated. It really is the best way to help us get back into flying. Before I go, I wanted to wish a personal thank you to each and every one of you. Liz, thank you for putting up with these pilots and helping making the show as good as it is. Dr. Steph, thank you so much for all that you've done for me and my mom. We both really appreciate it. Captain Rick, although we have never met, I feel like I know you and thank you so much for all of your technical knowledge and valuable input you add to the show. Captain Dana, it's sad not to hear your voice, but for the occasional bit of feedback. I really do miss the banter between you and Captain Nick. 
Oh, and Captain Nick, thank you all for your stories. I think the entire community is grateful for all that you do and share on a weekly basis. Also, I'm really sorry I wasn't able to help you with your balls. Sorry to hear you had to sell them. And Captain Jeff, I guess the last one's to you. Thank you so much for starting the podcast so many years ago and for providing such great entertainment to the entire community along the way. What you have built is remarkable, and I really look forward to the next 500 episodes. Until then, fly safely. This is Pasadena Brian. Hope to see you all soon. Thank you, Brian Coleman, Pasadena Brian, for your well wishes for our 500th episode. And if you want a pair of Captain Nick's balls, they're only $50 a pair. What a bargain. That's just what just a- 50 Wow. Yeah. Well, I only had two pairs, so. <laughs> By the way, I, short, saw, I, I think you only had on one pair. I'm sorry about the PTUK uh uh, Christmas podcast the other day, pre-recorded. So uh, it was lovely to see him chat to him again. It was super. Yeah. Very nice. Um, and uh, our final one for the show, I know we, we were hoping to make it a little bit shorter. Sorry, Kaya. <laughs> um, but uh, we're, we're just about finished here. Uh, this is the uh, last piece of feedback from Landon. And he said, suggestion, can you please ask Jeff to have the first thing for episode 500 be the the American version of the Enhanced Ground Proximity Warning System, or EGPWS, call out of 500. He will know what I mean. Oh. And we didn't get that in time to no. uh, do that, Landon. It's, it's a great, great idea. It's a Bad great timing. idea. Bad timing. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you go 500. 500. That sounds like that. So that would have been great. But, yeah, too late. Too much, too little, too late. Anyway, uh, that's it. Um, so uh, thank you so much, everyone, who reached out and sent us in um, audio and non-audio congratulatory feedback. We do appreciate it. All the people that supported the show financially. And, uh, oh, you know, I should probably share this. Um, uh, somebody said that this would be an apropos uh, picture for this episode. Let's see here. I see my good. better half is multitasking. Yes. <laughs> I identify with that completely, Kai. It's totally fine. We won't say yeah, anything. Here we go. <laughs> ah, yeah. Five, there five, we five, go. Five, oh, wait. Bring it back. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Oh, shoot. Oh, there we go. <laughs> How the hell did we that. do? Where was that? that? Yeah, Liz. Uh, Liz uh, has this. I don't. Did you? Who took this picture? Did you, Liz? I think it was David Ab. He David went Abbey shopping for jeans with went shopping Nick with Nick for jeans in New York. <laughs> is that right, Nick? So uh, perfect. Is that I don't know. Levi's five hundred one. Yeah, Levi's five hundred one. That's the uh, so uh, drunken haze. Whenever I'm with uh, David Abbey, is that uh, the waist size or? Uh... <laughs> hey, wow! It's Ouch. an American waist size, not mine. Everything's bigger. In America. Yeah, uh, must be a Texas waist size. Those, those nice, nice uh, recall to. Yeah, <laughs> keep that picture, David. Brilliant. Yeah, five hundred one. That's my favorite. Anyway, well, there you go. That's the show. Uh, there you go. Yeah. The show. There's your artwork done. Artwork we don't even have done. to. Uh, there you go. I was yeah. trying yeah. to help him there. Yeah, send me a full raised picture, will you, David? That's perfect. Yeah, that that was. From you got to put antlers on yourself and a red nose, though. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably. You mean my nose isn't red enough, though? 
I've got nope. somebody's right. head sticking out of the top of my skull, but... Uh, one of those uh, cowboys. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. I could put a cowboy hat on. Would that help? Yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's time now for us to wrap up this show. We'll get back to uh, a normal uh, a normal type of show, hopefully next week, and have more of your <laughs> Is great... there ever such a thing? Well, no, not really. But, uh <laughs> Anyway, I uh, really enjoyed this one as well. And uh, thank you, everybody, for for hanging out with us, especially our live audience and our live chat rooms. We do really appreciate that and appreciate you. And without you, we wouldn't be doing this. So, you know, no. thank you. And uh, let's see. I guess we should talk about our website, AirlinePilotGuy.com, where you can find out a bunch of stuff like about the stuff. crew and the community stuff. and more stuff like merchandise stuff. and all sorts of stuff all sorts of Podcast stuff. stuff yeah you know what there's so much stuff there stuff i can't even here. think of it all so just head over there and look at it there you go there's a uh, an example of our uh, front page there with all the different things well, we have with all the different stuff all the with different all the things stuff. and stuff we like stuff yeah we do <laughs> stuff's good and uh, we are also on social media or what i like to call the social meads indeed you can head over to twitter no nope. <laughs> ah, i was trying to see which one she was gonna do all right i usually start with twitter i don't know why since i think we're most people I, I, well i, I don't know. know yeah <laughs> twitter we're on yeah. that app we're on that platform we are at apg crew and our individual twitter handle handles are pinned to the top of that page so find us there we're also on facebook Facebook.com slash airline pilot guy oh, is where Sorry. you can find us. If you want to send us feedback, <laughs> you can if you do that want to find to our man. email address, feedback <laughs> at airlinepilotguy.com. And um, I've been really bad about putting uh, Nick's artwork up on Instagram, but we're there. We're APG crew. Um, I'm a slacker. If you want to be a slacker, you should check out our Slack page. You could be a slacker too. Hillel will tell you about that. Yeah. Let's see if Hillel is here in the cabin again. Wait. Hang on. Hey, hello. Hello. Do you have time for Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. Just don't get it all over the equipment over here. Electronic As equipment. As it were. That it is. <laughs> yeah. Right, so. yeah, don't get it on Back my pedal. equipment either. Okay. Tell us about Slack, please. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. Now you can head back to the bathroom, which is just right over there. So thank you very much for all the help. Fire in the hole! Thank you. How far away did you say it was? Just right over. Have you been to Taco Bell? It's unfortunate. Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. And uh, with that, it's time for us now to end this week's show and wish you regular necklines. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> I would normally sign off with my normal cheers y'all here, but I just want to warn Jeff that Carlos has landed in Georgia, so just 
Yikes. Be careful. Okay. Cheers, y'all. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I, uh, I guess I'll leave you guys having a good time up there. I'm, uh, I'll resume my normal operation here in Ontario. But I'll see you next time. Happy to uh, have been here again. Uh, bye, everybody. I think. <laughs> resume. Resume no- normal ops. Resume normal bye, ops. everybody. <laughs> oh, sorry, Liz. There's, there's Liz. Say it again. Bye, everybody. There we bye, go. Liz. That was so nice. I'll fix it in post. No, he won't. I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall oh, I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline